Hey everyone, this is your host, Alec Mohibian, with just a quick note before we get started. Filthy Armenian Adventures is a travel agency for the soul, which takes you all over the map of our cultural apocalypse and deep into its most forbidden and forgotten territories. And the show is made possible entirely by the rug merchants, cigar singers, and oligarchs of the night who subscribe on Patreon. So if this free episode touches you in any way, please consider putting just a little bit of money where your soul is and becoming a patron, patreon.com slash filthy Armenian. You'll get access to twice as many adventures as the free feed, including the most intimate and scandalous ones. You'll get first dibs on the next live event. The first one was a real smash. And most importantly, you'll get the pride of being a stakeholder in this one-of-a-kind multi-dimensional hunt for truth, gold, and John Galt's motor. Patreon.com slash filthy Armenian. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. This January 6th, come to Los Angeles for the kind of Christmas nobody can steal. The second live filthy Armenian adventure experience. A festive Saturday night of jingle judgments, miracle cures, justice dreams, and wild white pills for the fateful year ahead. Starring warrior queen Amanda Milius, mercurial vibe doctor Benjamin Braddock, anti-woke sex symbol and civil rights prognosticator Richard Hanania, and other dear friends and surprise guests from the filthy Armenian adventure universe. We found a special new secret location for this one, a cozy historic hidden shrine to adventure in East LA. Santa will be there and you never know who else will come down that chimney with him. Doors at seven, show at eight, party till the wee small hours. For tickets, go to tiny.cc slash faatix. If you struggle with links, DM at Filthy Armenian on X or Instagram. And enjoy your conventional Christmas, your holiday, your Hanukkah, your Kwanzaa. But on the 12th night, come to the Gold Pole for the real holy deal. January 6, 2024, Filthy Armenian Adventures presents White Christmas. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder where you are, listening to Filthy Armenian Adventures. Ain't life strange, (laughs) ain't it funny, nothing matters much but love and money. Things don't work out the way you reckon The money comes first and the love comes second Cigarettes make the sun come up Whiskey makes the sun go down 
between You do a lot of standing around It's all I can do to make it through the day She wrapped it all in darkness And I can't find my way And I'm walking down the sidewalks of L.A. Wishing I had a warmer jacket And the leaves are falling down I'm just another man With an empty hand at heart In an empty hearted town Today's adventure is all about the stars you won't find under your feet on the big bullshit boulevard. The off-Hollywood stars who lie beneath sunset, way beyond the tour bus binoculars. The stars who shine not in the spotlights, but in the shadows of success. Out of sight, but not necessarily out of ear or out of mind. To locate these stars, you need a Thomas Guide sort of mind, the kind with directions to Thomas McGuane Lane, Renata Adler Avenue, Tuesday Weld Boulevard, Warren Zevon Drive, Hal Ashby Road, Frank and Eleanor Perry Street, Michael Camino Place, Carol Eastman Court. Always crashing in the same car, on art, crisis, and Los Angeles, California, by my guest, Matthew Spector is a critical memoir Thomas guide that journeys between the destinations I just described with many pit stops along the way. We visit the director-screenwriter couple sliced apart by disloyalty, the beguiling actress who rejected every part that would have made her Friday, the critic who burned every bridge she could see, the auteur who crashed into the iron bars of Heaven's Gate, totaling the last golden age of cinema in the process, the singer-songwriter of self-destruction, and the luminous, poetic screenwriter who held the hearts of Bob and Jack and even Geffen in the palm of her hand, but preferred to hide away. Esoteric beginnings, titanic middles, and unhappy endings dot this map of Los Angeles, inviting us to meditate on the idea and reality, and perhaps even illusion of failure in the land of dreams. Our guide is Matthew Spector, novelist, screenwriter, founding editor of the Los Angeles Review of Books. We are both native Angelinos with a late-blooming lust to comprehend the incomprehensible monster city that made us. Whereas I grew up in literal Hollywood within a very off-Hollywood family, he grew up in Santa Monica within a very Hollywood family. His father was a big-time agent, his mother a failed screenwriter and eventual recluse, and the darkness of his family life is the through-line, as screenwriters say, of this book. East Side, West Side, Schmies Side, Schweppes Side, our fates mingle at many points along the way, including the intersection of divorce and the literary itch. I first encountered Matthew in his delightful introduction to the NYRB edition of Slow Day's Fast Company by Eve Babbitts, herself a patron saint and serial patron lover of the Hollywood shadow star. Some of the names in Always Crashing you know, and some you probably don't. But there is one name that everybody knows. 
in a very important realm. He is the greatest star America has known, yet Hollywood has no star for him. Even though he gave it his last tragic years and all that was left of his mind. The story goes that Hollywood killed this man, destroyed him, buried him with nothing more than a poor son of a bitch from Dorothy Parker as she looked down at his casket. The story has become a fable of Hollywood failure that haunts every figure in this book, hovers over everyone who came here with talent, but never quite made it. Whatever made means, whatever it is. For he is as great a star as any we have known. He not only wrote what people say is the great American novel, he was the great American novel. Nobody is more fundamental to the foundational myth of this country and of its dream machine than F. Scott Fitzgerald. F. Scott Fitzgerald. I've been thinking a lot about F. Scott Fitzgerald with what can only be called emotion. F. Scott Fitzgerald, the man who said, In the real dark night of the soul, it is always three o'clock in the morning. F. Scott Fitzgerald, the man who said hell to holding opposing ideas in his head, but who never said hell to Hollywood. F. Scott Fitzgerald, who fell out of everything but love and who gave the last ounces of his love to the city and its tycoons that supposedly killed him. Shadow of shadow of shadows, there's no star on the boulevard of bullshit for F. Scott Fitzgerald. But he is the guiding spirit of this adventure, which starts and ends at the Hayworth Avenue home in which he died, forgotten, just a few steps south of Sunset, clueless of his triumphal third act to come. They say this place is evil But that ain't why I stay Cause I found something that'll never be nothing And I found it in L.A. It was midnight in Topanga I heard the DJ say there's a full moon arising Join me in L.A. Join me in L.A. It goes a long way. So, um, so yeah, I guess it made sense to just... I'm coming from uh, Little Armenia. Yeah. There was this weird stoppages, like uh, fountain was just in the middle of it. They're doing construction, and there was and the the, the app didn't know, I guess. So I had to. It's a, it's a, it's a nightmare. Um, that's the spot. That's oh my god. It just seemed like a kind of logical place to, to start. Yeah. Um, just because you know, and it's funny because it's like I you know I didn't, I didn't realize I don't remember when I when I became aware. That's you know this is the the, the building where uh, Fitzgerald died. That, that's was. Uh, Sheila Graham's place, like not this front unit, but like the lower, um, like the se- I think it's the second unit right there. The, second, yeah, unit. the second unit, same building, yeah, same, same building, yeah. And the, what's funny is that, but when I lived there, Jeez. that little iron fence wasn't there, and there was definitely not a 
this property closed to the public, no entry without permission sign. In fact, that sign wasn't even there the last time I, um, the last time I was by here. Um, so I like to pretend that there's been a, a sort of uptick in always crashing related tourism. <laughs> tourism. Yeah, yeah. The, the always crashing tourism. Yeah. The, they're selling maps yeah. based on your yeah, book. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, but um, that's crazy that yeah. it's the same building because yeah. it doesn't even look that old by LA standards. No, it's you know? it's not. I mean, you know, I, th- I guess it's. Yeah, I guess. I mean, uh, yeah, it looks the same to me as buildings that were built in the '80s. Yeah, here, you know, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I think you know, I, I guess that building probably. I mean, it would have been new when when you know when when she lived there when he when he was there in the '40s. Um, you know, you can kind of see it in like the gabled roof. You know, some of that stuff feels yeah. kind of like of the of its period, which is nice. But yeah. if you ask me, I yeah. like the gabled roof. It's roof fantastic. A lot. And this place does, I think, have a have a kind of distinctly older feel. It's like these courtyard buildings that are like, you know, it's like the. Um, I was I'm always reminded of the the, the, the one in, in in a lonely place, which is. You know, that's just, exactly the one yeah, I was. That's yeah, the first thing I yeah, thought of when I yeah. saw this was in a lonely place. Yeah, yeah. I love that courtyard. Yeah, it's that's incredible. like in Beverly Hills, quote unquote. It, yeah, no, it's in the movie. In the movie, it yeah. is, but in reality, it's just down Fountain. Oh right. Oh okay, so it's yeah. right here. Um, yeah. Beverly Hills. Fix and Steel, successful screenwriter. Where would he live? Where would he Beverly live? Beverly Hills. Yeah. Um, I mean, but, but you know, it's like it's a, it's a, and the thing about the 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 woman who managed it, probably I mean, I'm sure she still does. Who who like lived on the ground floor and had kind of like a, you know, most of these apartments are tiny. Like, it's you know, it's like that this mine which was the back one, and then you can sort of see this front one. It's like it's just one room. Right, right, right. right. It's just this. Yeah, right. It's just that. Um, You know, it's small. You know, and it's like, it's kind of, you know, it's like the rooms are kind of nice. Like there's, you know, there's a fireplace where you can see the little chimney. Right. You know, there was a whole sort of like... Um, there's charm. There's charm. And there's yeah. a, is the ceiling somewhat high versus... Yeah, the ceiling, like, yeah, that's, the ceiling is high. That goes a long way. Yeah. So you could, you know, I could just fling it open. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was, it was it was great. It was like, you know, kind of beautiful in the daytime, but also kind of, you know, you're a middle-aged man, you have a family and you're like living you're in a living, fucking studio apartment. yeah yeah it feels yeah. like you're in a it feels like you're in some sort of a, a punishment <laughs> sometimes yeah, or, or i mean you know again it's i mean <laughs> let's just say you know you, you get older and you also just look at the way things are now and it's like it's not punishment to live in a studio apartment right I mean, well no in los angeles no right it's punishment to not live in an apartment at all right right, um, right. you know um but it was it was uh, it's you know what's funny to me is that I guess I wrote that book in 2018, started in 2018, so 2018, 2019. Yeah, it's like writing the book already feels a little bit historical. To right, because that's a different world. Yeah, it, 2020, yeah. it's like the to me anyway. Yes, and to I think to a lot of people whether yes. they acknowledge it or not, it's a diff- yeah. It's like there's something. It's like there's been a curtain fell. Yeah, and there's pre 2020 and there's yeah. post 2020. Yeah, yeah, and also just I, was, I, I shocked myself as I was driving over when I realized that. When I lived here, George W. Bush was president. Like right. the whole edifice uh, had not um, had not yet come down. Or right. you know, I think it kind of had, but we didn't know it. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, you yeah. know, you can make yeah. the argument that it that when, when the edifice really is coming down and when you notice it are two different things. But yeah. for me, you know, a lot of a lot, for me, you know, the, I I don't sleep on the fact that 2020. And just the pandemic and ev- the way everything, I mean, just everything. Yes. I mean, I was just, what's the latest? I was just, 
Oh yeah, I was at Literati Cafe to meet somebody the other. I don't know if you know Literati yeah, in, all sure. the way in, yeah. in Brentwood. Yeah. Where it closes at three now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I complain about this all the time on shows. Places that are not open in twenty four hours anymore. Yeah. The pantry is closed two days a week and is like open till three p.m. in LA in downtown. Really? Yeah. The pantry. the pantry? The pantry. That's fucking ridiculous. I know. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. That's, that's to me, right. that's like, that's an objective metric. Right. Because if you, if you, all you have to do is be like, well, that is, that means that we have 30% of the amount of public life and existence that this establishment used to host. Yeah. Is, is, that's, we're at 30%. That's because yeah. the other yeah. 70, it's not like going somewhere else. Yeah. It just doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's just no, there's yeah. no other pantry it's going to, you know? Yeah. So yeah. in so, many ways it's, yeah. So it's degraded. You know, but I mean, the point is, is that even while I was writing the book, this era was historical. Oh yeah. And you know, I mean, historical in the sense of not necessarily being of landmark historic importance, but like I, a, a past from which we had already fractured. Right. And even more, even more so now, um, you know, but it was, it was. I'm, it, I'm glad it's still here though, the building. Yeah. Because it looks really nice. I, it is, it is. And, and, and it really, I think that, you know, the, the woman, um, the landlady who was, who really did say that thing to me about how Al Pacino used to live here and that she, she said to me with a very straight face, she said, uh, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to marry him. I said, really? <laughs> Are you now? Um, she said, oh, yeah. Um, and, um, well, I guess that didn't work out. That didn't work her, out ex- as she expected. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's but very she sweet. Said, she said that um, she did say Cary Grant had lived here. She said Billy Crystal had lived here um, at some point. I mean, it, um, it's plausible because... Sure. It's a very, it's, this is a very logical place. If it's a logical place. If you're a young, place. aspiring actor, aspiring writer, aspiring anything, yeah. and you're you know coming to L.A., like, where else would you fucking live? You're two blocks from the... You know, you're, you're, you're less than a block from the Strip. You're two blocks from the chateau right you know the whole kind of like matrix of right whatever the sort of symbolic matrix of yeah. hollywood you're next right to here. you're next to the marquee the sunset marquee where there's seems to be all kinds of you know meetings and shit yeah. going on yeah. there you're, you're next to uh anywhere in weho you know it's this is a perfect spot i mean basically what everything all of these places i feel are are a uh stitched together uh kind of replacement for the Garden of Allah. Yes, I think that's exactly right. Yeah. That, that's exactly right. Even though, you know, I mean, the real reason I lived in West Hollywood was just because, you know, because when I came back, I bought a house with my ex. Yeah. And um, and then we split up and it was like, well, you know, like easy, you know, just so that I could get to my daughter. Close quickly. by. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's good to be close yeah. to. You know, and it's like, I, I like it, but I feel like every most of my peer group and most you know, most interesting people in Los Angeles live on the fucking east side. They yeah. don't live this far west. Right, right. And, you know, you mentioned Brentwood a minute ago. You know, my, my, my dad still lives in Brentwood. And my, you know, my, I, like, so occasionally, you know, I still go over to, the, to, the, to that side of town. And I'm like, man, this is just so, it's so antiseptic. And, and, it is pretty, yeah. you know, I, I got, you know, I, my family, my, one part of my family lives there. Yeah. So I'm there all the time. Yeah. And I... I it's been yeah it can get in a way Brentwood is can be if you're if you're like on the low if you're not up in the canyons where yeah. you kind of can disappear into what 
you know, that kind yeah. of similar vibes, not not similar vibes as Laurel Canyon, but similar distance from the city. And yes. you can sort of feel you're in a, you're kind of in a different realm yeah. in the Highlands. Or if you go west enough that you're in Palisades, which yeah. is really cute. I went to yeah. high school in Palisades. Yeah. I like, Did you go to Pali? Yeah. Yeah. I went nice. to Pali yeah. and to Paul River Middle School yeah. before that. Yeah. Um, did you go there? No, I, but I, we used to skateboard in Paul River. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. That was the 70s thing. Those, those like kind of embankment you know the, the yeah 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 kind of like slopes on the that's cool yeah. that's cool yeah. i i still have a very strong affinity to pally yeah and therefore to palisades yeah. and the yeah. cliff i have a cliff there that i like right above the high school where I, like yeah. when i need to see the pacific yeah. um i i think i know the cliff you mean i think i i think i did some i think i did some mushrooms on that oh nice was, you know i haven't done that yet i need high school i need yeah. to do that i yeah. need to, i've never got i don't think i've ever gotten high up on that cliff oh which, it was it was good for that uh, it's great. It's a great cliff. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've noticed a lot of people go there now. Yeah. Um, but my point is that Brentwood is pretty drab and yeah. on, the, on the lower level. Yeah. It's just drab. It doesn't have a great mix of people. And yeah. I, at least, you know, sometimes it, maybe it used to, but now that like Literati Little used to be open until 11. Yeah. People, you know, I ran into all kinds of people there, some of which were interesting. Not yeah. all, not many. Not all of them, but not all, not no, many. No, but, but it's, it's, it is a, the lack of a sort of, of sort of, um, you know, public spaces you know that like where people can hang out i don't yeah. mean bars you know yeah and not I, bars bars don't know, do it i do think a lot of the, the you know the like the you know the strange way that that la doesn't have that i mean you know we have griffith park or whatever but it's like you know that there aren't spaces where people just kind of circulate you know unless, yeah. they, unless it's like I don't know. No, it's a problem. It's, it's a problem. It's a real problem. I, I've been desperate. I mean, I desperately hunt for these places. Mm-hmm. I try to, you know, I've, I mean, one of my favorite places, just because it's a place I can s- literally circulate for hours. You talk about the Iliad, which I want, yeah. I'd like to do an episode in the Iliad, by the way, one of these yeah. days, uh, because I've never actually been there. Uh-huh. But the, but the counterpoint yes. on Franklin is yes. my Iliad. Yes. It, it has been forever. So I yeah. did an episode there recently and that's been one place I can just, you know, I'll walk into almost daily because it's on my yeah. walk. Yeah. Um, oh, we should have gone to Iliad. That, I mean, you know, that place burned. Um, Iliad it, burned? It opened again. Oh, okay. Someone, someone tried to, someone torched it in, um, you know. Well, let's, of, let's do another episode fit, at the Iliad fit, one day. Fit of fascist rage. I, oh, I would really? love, yeah, that place is, you know, used. I've never been. That's you, crazy. It's, it's just a, it's, it's, I, I gather it's fine now. At least right. their Instagram account seems to indicate that it is. Okay. But I think, you know, use a used bookstore, you know, one thing that bums me out, obviously they're, you know, fair number of good independent bookstores in this city i mean yeah, good is a stru- good is a <laughs> stretch these days because half of those bookstores like skylight yeah i just half of the bookstore seems to be filled with like the most mind-numbing trash that's yeah. not e- like new stuff you know like right. color like crazy right. titles i don't even want to get into it because it's but, but the problem is that's, that's okay a, that's not really i mean I, I i i agree with you yeah but it's not really a f- the fault of the store i mean the, no, the, the thing audience. about it is that all these stores you know it's about publishers not keeping backlists in print and uh-huh. you know what 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 these stores are stocking and they're all kind of stocking more or less the same kind of like short tail yeah set of titles I, right you know yeah it's it's rough i mean whatever's in the display window is rough right. their stock is a little better like you can find yeah. some stuff yeah i like stories a lot yeah stories, stories is, has a good stories things. is cool stories yeah. has because stories had first of all because stories also sells used that's a big is, one is a yeah. very important yeah piece of the puzzle and i think too stories has a little bit more um 
Yeah, their inventory is a little is like is unusual. It's it's not it's not kind exactly of standardized. And so you can let Kismet sort of take over right. and and guide you to some random thing that you right. you know you're. That's what I like about a bookstore is when I can just turn around, oh, I can see something and be like a little right. you know interested. Uh, that stories has that for yeah. sure. And yeah. Counterpoint because it's completely used has that, and they their used books are good. So it's yes. not just yes. You know, well, that's the best. Or, you know, there's also there's kind of like funny, you know, kind of funny outpost. You know that store in um, Echo Park called Despair? Have you been there? No. <laughs> it's tiny. It's it's this this woman, um, her name is Addison Richley, I think, runs this store. You know, it's, it's like one room. It feels almost more like an art gallery, but it's like, it's it's one person with like real sensibility. Yeah. So it's like the, you know, just like what's oh, in that's there. What I, just, that's that's yeah. what I want. That's yeah. what I want yeah. from a store. Yeah. Sensibility. I, yeah, I, do, I do too. Judgment. I, I want, yeah. the, I want you know, I want someone's character to be spread all over the shelves. Right. And that's what I want. Right. Yeah. So that, I have to have find to be, that But of course you have, you know, the, the stores have to be able to afford to be there. Right. Yeah. Day. You need to have a great right? lease. You need to have a, <laughs> right. <laughs> you can't do it with you a, know? you have to have a long grandfathered in lease right. that can allow you to be eccentric. If you're Skylight or BookSoup, people are coming in, they're asking for the same fucking titles this, yeah and so those t- those are the titles they're gonna have on right display. yeah you know that's right yeah. i haven't actually even been to book soup forever i used yeah. to like book soup yeah i mean i have be- i haven't been there yeah. as many times as you think because yeah. but my best friend when his he wrote a book way back in 2010 and and the reading was at yeah. the the what the at book soup so that was one nice occasion i've been there a few times you know they used to have that used to be a place where you would really that was that's like the you can you can um, uh, probably you know more about it than I do, but it, it feels like that's the closest thing we we had to the Stanley Rose Bookstore. Yes, that used to be next to Musso and Frank's, yes. where all the big boys would yes. get their books. Yes, I mean the best the best bookstore that LA had in my lifetime that closed was the original Dutton's store in Brentwood. Oh, that was, I've that been was, there many times. Yeah, that like, was that was a great store. Dave Barry, I got a, I got, yeah. I went to a Dave Barry signing there yeah. as in high school. I went to Salman Rushdie. Yeah. Uh, maybe a few others, I don't remember, but yeah, that, that But that be, was that a place cool. where you could go in, I mean, I, I remember sometimes I would, you know, I would buy something and I would just think like, this book has probably been sitting on this shelf for like eight years. Yeah. One copy, you know, just like- One copy, One yeah, copy, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. it's it's not the edition that's currently in print. Right. And it's like, it's as if it was waiting here just for me. It didn't, you know, and, and I think like a bookstore is sort of supposed to have that that quality and, and, and that's changed. And like I said, the reason it's changed I think it's all about the corporatization of publishing, and not so much about, um, not so much about, like you can't just kind of chalk that down to like, oh, the stores suck. It's oh like, yeah, no, it's, I'm not. Bla- it's yeah. everyone's at fault, yeah. obviously. It's yeah. a, it's it's the audience. It's the it's. But but when you see a store that's functioning without that model, yeah. which is what the some like you know stories for even I mean yeah. stories has the same audience as Skylight. You would think. Yeah. Theoretically, because yeah. it's you know East Side crowd, whatever yeah. new and used mixed together, but somehow they're able to to, to maintain a, uh, an aura of, I would say like uh, eccentricity and actual literary interest right. uh, versus right. the kind of books you buy just to show off to your dinner party friends that yeah, you have them right or that just basically just they're just kind of like Instagram fodder Instagram fodder it's all and right. it's tra- and and also I, I mean this is another yeah. topic but. I, I hate the way books are currently printed on yes. the paper no, and they, the they margins. Look, they look like the shit. Font, they look the, like the, garbage. The paper is usually kind of low quality and the horrible. The, and the the cover design is poor. The it's, cover design know, is like I could take two minutes on Canva and make yeah. a better cover than the, than any of the covers yeah. I see. You know, I make covers for my show and I'm like, yeah. they're not great, but 
and they're better than the shit I see on yeah. on these. Well, things. they're they're all they're all aimed towards again. They're you know, yeah, Instagram kind of pastel aesthetic. Right, right. right? It's very someone will someone will take a photograph of this and it, you know yeah gotta make those colors pop. And, yeah, I've got to make yeah. a bright shiny orange whatever. Yeah. And then and and um, yeah, and when you see in a used bookstore, you'll see a book that's a hundred years old and yeah. it's in firmer it's in better shape than one yeah. that was just published yesterday. It's crazy. Yeah. But my you know we talk about this is a one all one way of going around toward. Um, I was reading rereading the opening of so by the congratulations on writing such a, I think, like profound, you know, heartfelt LA uh, memoir. Thanks, man. I think it's really, you know, I'm very, I've been desperately looking for these touchstones as I, I've been, I've been only for the, I'm born in LA. My, yeah. my story is I'm, I'm born and raised in LA. I'm basically on opposite sides of Sunset Boulevard. Right. Began in Little Armenia, my folks split up, uh, divorces as, Profound a part of my existence sure. as it is in yours, yeah. and that you call it, you most, write about. Me. Most of us who are under the age of, you know, thirty <laughs> probably have had that experience. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if you know. Yeah, I'm 29. No, yeah. I'm 38. I'm yeah. 38. But I, but, but the, but the, 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 the over thing. Over the age of 30. Over the, yeah, over the age, but also, like in LA, I've noticed again recently, only as I've been kind of unraveling these, uh, the onion, um, of this of the city. Uh, like uh, divorce plays such a big role in this city. Yeah, and I don't think people necessarily even aren't are aware of that because you think Hollywood divorces, ha ha ha. You know, it's like a joke. Yeah. But no, there's a when you get divorced in this city, yeah. you might move f- 15 miles away, and yeah. you might be you know like and you and that that and suddenly you have a totally that was different a generational. Dynamic. That was a gen. You know that that kind of happened. I think with my parents. You know, as part of my parents' generation, people didn't really get divorced. Not yeah. not in the same way. And so starting, you know, with, with people my age, right, I'm, I'm sort of at the, at the back end of Generation X. Yeah. I think, we've, you know, we all experience that. And you're right. There right. is something about doing it in, in, in L.A. because it's, you know, New York is like, New York is all New York. You know, maybe you have one parent who lives on the Upper West Side and yeah. one parent who lives in... Feels the same, looks yeah, the same. You know, on the East Side or in Tribeca or whatever. Yeah. But it's all kind of, it's still sort of like... It's New it's, York. It's continuous. Yeah. Even when you're a kid. And when you're not, you know, here... It's true. Your parents split up, and you're like, I mean, you know, my dad moved out to Malibu when they split. That's like the, being on yeah. the other side of the world. Yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> you know, to a kid. Yeah, totally. to to a grown up who's learned to master the city as his yes. chessboard. Yes. different story. We, yeah. we we I think like you and I both, based on re- reading your book, we've like absorbed the the whole of L.A. into our yes. psyche. Yes, right. Yes, I think that's true. But that's not what not when we're kids. No, when, when we're you're kids, it's a different when you're universe. a kid, you don't have any sense of what. You know, especially in LA, I didn't. You know, it's like I, I, you know, I would go to Hollywood and I'd be like, I wouldn't know how to get here from where I live. Yeah. No. You know, I, I think that I was, I was in high school before. You know, when I was a little kid, I, kid, I would hear like, oh, the Watts riots. There were riots in Detroit and in Watts, and I was like, oh, so Watts is like, Illinois, like yeah, what the hell? yeah, right? yeah, Peoria, where's and Watts? I, and yeah. then I was in high school, I was like, oh, Watts is. Here, Watts you know? is like right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very embarrassing. Well, the first time I drove yeah. across the town, like I got, yeah. I was late yeah. blooming as a driver yeah. and other things. But like, I got my car at eighteen. It's still yeah. in high school, yeah. which by today's standards, by the way, is like yeah. people aren't are like not driving now until they're twenty five. It's yeah. crazy. But I got my car at eighteen, senior year, and I drove. And my friends, oh, there was a our baseball team was in the city championship. 
which was at Dodger Stadium. Oh my God. Uh-huh. So, and in Pali, you know where Pali is. Yeah, of course. And because I was too daunted, I didn't know how to get there by freeways. Yeah. Because it was like, and this is before GPS. Yes. This is before, this is where, I don't even, I, I don't even know if we had MapQuest in those days. Yeah. I mean, it was maybe, they, maybe it was just starting, whatever. Um, I just was, I just took Sunset Boulevard from yeah. Pali High in my Honda Civic to Dodger Stadium. That was the first yeah. time I crossed this, the city yeah. on my own. Amazing. Amazing. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's like, I mean, that like, that's like Homeric. I know. You know? I know. It's, it's an odyssey. Like, it really like, is. Wow. That yeah. must have been mind-blowing. Um, but you didn't have a, you, didn't, you, didn't, you don't remember the Thomas Guide? Oh, the Thomas Guide, yeah, but that, that's yeah. the most complicated thing no. in the world. That thing is like, a, that thing's about the, like the, a Bible of, I, I never was able to, I, I scared the shit out of me. I couldn't, right. I never looked no, into that we, thing. You know, I, I used to use it and I'm like, how? How does anybody, yeah, you have to yeah. be a, you have to take a class on how to yeah. use the Thomas guy. Well, yeah, it's insane. <laughs> it's like a thousand pages of maps. It's, the, I, people, I, yeah. I'd love to, I need to like, there should be some, there should be a, a, a like a dis, uh, performance of the Thomas Guide to young people to see what they're like. One of the things that they're spared from, you know, you people who've never had to deal with uh, to have who have GPS. But to me, like I, I got I started crying last night. Not really crying, crying because that would have been, uh, uh, you know, that would have been bad for my dignity, even in, uh, even uh, to an audience of myself alone. But as I was reading your the rereading your first chapter about F. Scott Fitzgerald, yeah, and it. And I mean, we've all like anyone who's in in any way writerly yeah. has obsessed over to some degree over F. F. Scott yeah. Fitzgerald. Yeah. I'm not the t- I'm not the one who is. I I kind of you know because it was because Gatsby was assigned yeah. in high school. Yeah, I kind of like looked askance at any yeah. assi- assigned. That wasn't the, book. wasn't the one for me either. You, you for know? you, it was this side of paradise. Yeah, right? yeah, which is which is really a pretty bad book. It must be said that that is not a good novel. Right. Um, but it has a very magnetic opening when you're right. especially when you're young because you know when you're young and vain as I was both uh, you know I, you know whatever the Amory Blaine the romantic egotist you know and I was like this is me right right um, right you know and, and of course he's still Fitzgerald so even when he's not yet at the peak of his powers he's yeah. he's you know the, the prose is amazing it has it's beautiful and 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 you know and, and very um, you know just just unbelievably lush and alive and um it's so alive yeah it's like you can't deny it it's like it's the same you know i mean i reread gatsby in college on my own time and i was like sufficiently sufficiently just you know bedazzled by it no it's it's absolutely incredible i've read it it many times since then but i'm I'm starting to think you know i can't speak for the entire world but i would i would not i would wait i would be confident in like I'd be confident in submitting it as possibly the greatest novel for a young man yes. or a young woman yes. Yes. in the world. Yes, like under twenty-five. Yes, um, and perma- like because Salinger, you, people might say Catcher in the Rye in America. Yeah. I think that's more of it. You know, that's that that qualifies. Yeah. I think it's a little bit more limited in its appeal, and it's a little bit more time-based. Whereas yeah. Gatsby, I think, yeah, te- so far yeah. beats the test of time. Yeah, and I think that you know. Great American novel is kind of a fatuous term. Yes. But I think when people talk about the great American novel, what they really mean is yeah. that F. Scott Fitzgerald was the great American yeah, novel. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think that's as close. It, it, it's, that given if we if we understand that to be a a kind of marketing category now, it is it has sort of now just evolved into a marketing category. Yeah, of course. You know, a hundred years ago, it was you know a kind of a. a, a 
you know, thing that one could sort of yearn for, you know, the, 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 the defining text. Right. Which, of course, is, you know, even then was ridiculous, and even then was a marketing term. But it's hard not to look at that and see, like, the entire story of America, which, you know, at this point I think of in terms that are pretty posthumous. Right, right. Uh, you yeah, know. you took in the uh, past tense. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. So it's it's yeah it's true it's a, well that and that's always the test isn't it it's like because it's a story it's a story about frustrated ambition it's a story about ambition yeah that's both fulfilled and and then and then that self combusts yeah um, and it's also a story about the just the the vitality of youth yeah and the callousness of youth yes and all these and all the things that are are truly if you grew up if you grow up in America with any yeah. kind of like yeah any kind of normal. I think consciousness. Yes, it's going to fucking appeal to. Yes, you. and yeah. al- and also, of course, it's a story about fraudulent, you know, kind and of fraud, fra- yeah. fraud, and and yeah. you know, kind of fake self-invention, which, right. which you know, that 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 plays out over and over and over again. Right, which also right. which is also inseparable from real self-invention yes. because invention is invention. And, yes, and it's going to be fake yes. and it's going to be that, yes and until that, you yeah. make it real and, yes. and 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 then if you make it you make it real and then you try you push you push your 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 the envelope too much yeah and then it's fake again and it's this ongoing well thing, writing drama. writing is that I mean that's the yeah. other thing I was thinking about just specifically in relation to that book was you know sometimes I'll meet people who've read it and they'll say God I you know I feel like I already know you and I'll think fascinating because that's not me I mean you know it 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 it, it, it is a it is a representation of me in time um, and it's you know it's not I, I'm you know I'm, I'm happy to say there's nothing in that book that's made up but it is you know kind of redreamed and when you start redreaming things and you kind of you know you kind of shuffle the deck a little bit and you, you yeah know, there's like you know you little pinches in the chronology and stuff of course of course yeah, yeah. yeah you have to you know you have to uh yeah. you have to reshuffle the deck for the sake of cause and effect yes because in the, the, re, the fact of the matter is cause and effect is this illusion that we have yes uh but yes. Uh, you know perhaps <laughs> similar yes, to free that's will that's right it's yeah. an illusion yeah it's a, it it's a dramatic absolute. thing like it's a, yes. it's a we we absolutely demand it in screenplays yes. and in our all drama right whatsoever we demand like the audience is so deterministic in screenplays yeah like you cannot um maybe it's a i guess what i mean is maybe it's the determinism that's an illusion because in screenplays everything is cause and effect yeah and every story everything even if it's no plot even if it's you know avant-garde you still do something and it causes the other thing to happen whereas you look at you you look at back in the events of your life and you're like Wait, actually, the uh, this effect rather preceded what I think the cause to be. Yes, isn't that weird? Right. Yeah, that's exact. <laughs> that's exactly right. And I, yeah. and I think you know. So, um, you know, it was interesting because I, even when I was when I was, you know, thinking back on when I was starting to structure this book, you know, which I did, you know, which right. usually I don't stru- with a novel. I don't structure it before I write it. I write it and that yeah. structures it. Which is interesting. I'd love to yeah. plun- plunge plunge on that topic one day. But, but, that's but sorry. Hello. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no worries. Um, by the way, my pump, my pumping, my parking spot oh. turns into a pumpkin in like five minutes. Oh, okay. Let's go. Yeah. Th- let's yeah. go and it's, rescue yeah. the car. Yeah. I found a yeah. spot on Fairfax, oh, which okay. seems to be liberated. Okay, great. But great, great. yeah, um, yeah. This, they start towing at four. Now, so she's the actress from The Office, right? Oh, is she? She yeah. looks like it to me. Yeah, I can't uh, 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 Pamela? No, no. Oh. Uh, um, the one who dates Shrewd. Oh, and I, yes, I was just yes. right. 
Yes. I, I was just watching it last night at yes. someone's house, several yeah. episodes. That yeah. The funniest thing uh-huh. <laughs> is that she just walked past right now. Amazing. I just tweeted about The Office not 30 minutes ago. Amazing. From my car. <laughs> this Amazing. is the craziest fucking thing. It, yeah, that is Los Angeles, though, I right? mean, I mean, yeah. it's so good. Um, uh, <laughs> my God, so that's, good. that's just yeah. incredible. So, anyway, what I was saying is that, you know, in this case, because I, you know, wrote a proposal, and which was basically an outline. Yeah. And that that's how I, you know, that's the sort of, I sold the book before I wrote it, which was the first time I'd ever done that. Um, so, those years, like, it was sort of my sense of the chronology of those years. Yes. Sort of looking back from 10 years later and, you know, you're sort of like, was that 2006 or 2007 or 2009? You know, it's like, you know, stuff does... Uh, tend to sort of uh, wash, you know? Right. Yeah? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it is, it, it washes, but it's like, yeah, it's like we go back and, you know, I mean, that's just part of the, the I don't think that it makes it any less true, you know, yeah. like the invented version of, of, our, of our reality isn't, isn't, I don't think it makes, I don't think it's any less true the, the, I should say the edited version. Um, it's, not, it's, it's, it's like, it's kind of the, I think it's, it's hard. It's the job of the writer to make it true. Yes, it, it, yes. And, and to and make that real or that. Yeah, like, the question becomes is, is the, you know, it's like, is your, is the retelling, you know, your, your memory of something is already fictitious right or right. semi-fictitious very, yeah very so it becomes a question of you know and, and this is something I've struggled with both in in always crashing in the same car and with the new book that I'm just finishing now which is you know where <laughs> where your kind of um, reconciliation with something in writing like you know how how like at what point do you are you kind of you know, accurately, like transforming material into art, and at what point are you kind of fictionalizing it to spare your own discomfort with it? <laughs> right. You know, right. I mean, again, fictionalizing is a is a tricky word because I'm I'm not like, you know, I I I do feel like there's even though I, I feel like for me there's a, there's a continuum like it's like I could write a novel I could write nonfiction I could write criticism it's all kind of part of the same you know I could write something that I'm currently writing which has a lot of cultural history in it and I'm like it's all it's all a continuum to me like to my right. way of thinking these books are all novels yeah yeah, um, yeah yeah but I also think you know if I'm if I'm presenting something as memoir or present working in a in a kind of non-fiction space i do feel like you know there's there's a there's an ethic <laughs> you have a certain responsibility yes. to certain facts yes you have yeah. a responsibility to certain facts and you you have a responsibility to to the reader not to sell them a bill of goods right 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 you yeah know? no yeah you, yeah, yeah. With, with all with all respect to you know poor james fry Oh poor God, James Fry. poor James Fry. I remember uh, that. that yeah. There's a story that's kind of vanished from the from the map, but I yeah, remember that I was very vividly. Whether, you know, I'm sure that guy that guy made a bajillion fucking dollars. He did. Right? He did. He made so much money, and he wrote me a he wrote me a fan email once. He he like he, he oh, emailed me about not about this book about the one before it. Mm-hmm. So oh, I've given so many copies of this book to my you know bought so many copies and given them to so many people. Is that the um, novel Great Machine? American Dream Machine. Yeah. I have to read that, of yeah. course. Uh, and uh, so it was, it was you know like 
and I, I, I was, you know, you're, it's always nice when you hear from a, from a writer, but it was, you know, it was like, I was like, man, that's like, uh, I wondered what happened to that guy. Yeah, I wonder too, because yeah. he's completely off the map as far as I'm aware. Yeah. Like, I can't well, think. Well, he made a lot of money, you know, it's like he had this thing where he was outsourcing, he, he was basically hiring creative writing program students to, you know, kind of penning them into these contracts, the terms of which I think were pretty terrible, where mm-hmm. it would sort of be like, you know, he would give the writer the idea... He would be like, you know, I'll pay you $20,000 or something, you know, to write it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like when the, when the, when it gets adapted to, into a movie, you'll get whatever, like, you know, 10% or 15%, mm-hmm. you know, but it was just this thing where he was just like cleaning up on this shit without writing it. Um, which, uh, you know, on the one hand, it's like, well, people do that in the fucking art world all the fucking time, right? It's like, it seems to be a fairly yeah. common practice. I yeah. mean, it's it's like, it's it's one of those things where, I mean, there's a lot of people who do that, first of all, mm-hmm. that are perfectly normalized, such as James Patterson or whatever, uh, or what's his name? You know, the the yeah. the pulp writer. And that's like a common, fa- the factory thing. I guess it's with him, with James Frey, he's presenting himself as an actual literary yes. consciousness. Yes. And, and it so it, it is, in his case, it's like, how did he get, you know, he got lucky with Oprah or something, yeah. and then he just basically found a way to commodify that. And so it, it all feel it all smells of just, uh, you know, classic old school fraud. <laughs> like, yeah, just like, but, a, I mean, like a snake oil salesman. You, you could say that, but I also think the things, and, you know, honestly, I think, like, if you're going to do that, like, you know, there's nothing wrong with hiring other people to write the books if the books are not... You know, I don't think those books were being presented as, like, James Fry personal narratives. They were, like, I don't know, like, I Am Number 4 or, like, kind of, like, Hunger Games type, mm-hmm. like, you know, like, s- storytelling. Just, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, stories, pop storytelling. Right. Like, it's perfectly cool for him to, you know, kind of, like, hire other people to write or assist or whatever the fuck he was hiring them to do. But then, like, fucking pay them, man. Don't, mm-hmm. you know, don't don't pay somebody, like, you know... $35,000 and then, you know, walk away with like, you know, two and a half million for something you didn't right, do right. any work on. Right. Um, so one, one wonders what, what's up with that guy. The last yeah. thing I remember was that, was that million little pieces. What was yeah, it called? A million little pieces. A million little pieces. Yeah. And it was like a, presented as a novel of LA and, and, uh, no, 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 no. A million little pieces was the, was oh, the that was the book. drug book. That was the, 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 the LA book was called bright and shiny morning bright and shiny morning um i never you know i've never i mean the other truth is i've never really read him i've read you know i i right before the oprah thing happened i I was on vacation i was staying in some house in mexico and there was it was one of those kind of like vacation rentals where where you're like there's one book in this house and that was the book right was was and i and i and so I, i read you know read not quite he read it or read a big chunk of it and I, and I just I just remember thinking like man if you took the if you took the word fuck and the word cry out of this book if you removed those those two words like in their every iteration throughout the book like the you know there'd be about like 27 words left and they'd all just kind of like fall to the ground like mm. loose ball bearings right you right know? right you know, though, you yeah, know, not, so now, yeah, yeah. You, you remind me. So, yeah. Bright Shining Morning, it was like after that came out, mm-hmm. which was pretty summarily panned mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, it just seemed like empty garden, just as you said, yeah. uh, um, profane tinsel or whatever. And then, and then, pile of that. And then, 
but it was right after that that he was exposed for the best-selling book that he was his drug memoir or whatever. Yeah, that's 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 a million little that million the million little pieces, little pieces which yeah. was his bestseller Oprah thing that yeah. was that was that was all about drugs. And you know, I gotta be honest with you though, um, and I'm sure it's it was an ex- I would bet I'd love to actually <laughs> I'd love to interview him actually now that yeah. we, now that he came up because I thought of him too randomly recently yeah. as one of the few people who wrote a novel about LA that got any kind of recognition yeah, you know, because he's of an interesting he, he is an interesting case I'd be I'd be interested to uh, you know uh, meet that guy someday and pick his brain I think he lives in Connecticut oh I great think. yeah okay yeah the, they always they escape there always escape there. <laughs> Connecticut uh, is, wasn't that where is that where Renata Adler lives too yeah Renata lives in in, uh, in Newtown Newtown yeah. Yeah, one escapes to Connecticut. Um, I think I think Renata is would like to escape from Connecticut. Oh, really? Um, to be honest, yeah, I think she's. Well, come back here. She wants to come out here. To be honest, I think she's sort of like she wants. You know, she she'd like to find a, a teaching job or an institution that would hire her on. Mm-hmm. Well, um, she'd be she'd be she's she's. I'm glad she's still. Around. How old is she? She's about eighty. Eighty. She's yeah. yeah. Um. She's a fascinating figure who deserves her own. Um, yeah. deserves that deserves her own. She's an amazing episode. person. I, I love her to bits. She's she's definitely, um, you know, she's a she's a she's a very complicated figure, and you know, obviously she burned a lot of bridges in New York media. <laughs> right. I can. Yeah. Yeah. She so she writes that she specifically you point out with the. Uh, the piece about the, where she just tore into Pauline Kale. Yeah, and there was a subsequent book where she tore into the into the New Yorker. Right. Um, you know, I think she's I think she's someone who's who, uh, you know, is never afraid to um, uh, set fire to. You know, it's like burning your bridges behind you is one thing; burning them in front in of front you of is, you. A, is a whole other <laughs> yeah. is a whole other thing. Well, that's but it's um, a yeah, it's a very respectable thing. Yeah, um, no, it's I mean it's it's a it's a you know kind of a coefficient of you know she's a she's a um, courageous person. And, yeah, uh, you know, maybe not an easy one, but I don't particularly like easy people. Right. No. No. I mean, it's hard to be an easy person and also. A, a kind of bare knuckle truth teller in writing, you know, yeah. um, and that's the thing. It's like people think, people kind of like apply the same uh, standards as you would to small talk at a dinner party when they're talking about these writers and, and when they say when they write speak of them being cruel and all this stuff. And yes. it's like, well, yeah, I mean, you know, if you think of it as a as, as she's invited to your dinner party. And she's yeah. walking up to Pauline Kale, yeah, and telling her that telling her for in eight thousand words that she's that she's a you know basically a yeah. fraud. Yeah, uh, that's that would be cruel. But in the but, you know, the thing is that's not at all what she's doing. I mean, you know, the the piece is very emphatic about about you know being a great admirer of Kale's, Kale's to a point, and right. you know, it's it's about a, a collection of her recent reviews, and and she definitely eviscerates it. But what I think is interesting is, you know, people it's people are very people are so defensive about Paul and Kale. Oh people yeah. People who are like interview you know, who are real like Paulette type people. I mean, yeah. you know, Lily's kind of a Paulette. Oh interesting. Um, well I'm a Thompsonette. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You with David? Yeah, or, David. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's been on the show a few good. times. Yeah, oh he's he has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I love great. I love I mean he's amazing. He's uh, I think he's the best. I mean I do too. I the bet. best goddamn writer on film that we've I've thought so since two thousand seven. That's when I first discovered him. Yeah. And I mean he's amazing. But I think, you know, the funny thing is, is that, you know, like, of all people to leap up to defend that way, because Kale could be such a cop. 
mm-hmm. you know, in such a, you know, and really like in a bad, you know, just in a bad way. Someone who really, I think, had a, a misguided, you know, as, as great as, you know, so a lot of her pieces can be. And, you know, I, I have come around to admiring her much more than I once did. Uh, I actually have as well. Yeah. And, I, and specifically because I've come to, I have come to appreciate more not the cop part of it things, yeah. but, you know, per se, because that gets a little too, I don't like, you know, I think there's a difference between between kind of exerting one's power yeah. in a broad way and then, like, being a cop in sp- a little specifics and little yes. getting caught up in these, like, little rules. Yes. Uh, and I think that maybe that's, uh, she got caught, she, she was just given too much space. <laughs> yes, I, that's exactly right. Too much space and, and, and too much sort of developed an, an outsized view of her own power. So, uh, you know, just, you know, there's that famous story I always think about, you know, her saying to somebody, was it De Palma or, you know, or, is it, you know, she, or so there was some conversation where she sort of, you know, someone said, well, well what do you think your job is? You know, Sydney Lumet, I think. Yeah, Lumet. Lumet, Lumet, yeah. yeah. And her saying to Lumet, like, my job is to tell people like him where to go. Which way to go. And I thought, that's fucking bonkers. Like, yeah. Imagine being a critic and thinking that. Imagine yeah, that's, being anyone and thinking that. It's like right. completely insane. Well, it's um, insane because it's not true. You know, it's yeah, like, no, yeah. that's not actually your job as a critic. It's yeah. not to show Sidney Lumet which way to go. <laughs> yes. Like Sidney Lumet's gonna go, you know, Sidney yeah. Lumet, Sidney Lumet. I your job is to your job is to, I think, yeah, you know, assess and experience yeah. which way Sidney Lumet goes in the most honest and interesting way possible. Yeah. And you can fucking be as tyrannical you want when you're doing that, but you're not you can't you can't say that you know which like what yes. what he should be doing because you don't. And she and your own if, if you did, yeah. you would be able to then write you know, you, you, she had the power. She was given the chance to make movies. Yes. Yes. Didn't work, but it's fine. Yeah. But she probably didn't get, you know, how much did how much did she want to give of herself to make movies is, another, yeah. is the other question. She What, well, she lasted six months? Yeah. That's yeah. not a real shot. I mean, look at us. We're still no. <laughs> putzing around here. No, but she, you know, but but that was a whole, I mean, you know, she she was, I, that whole story, I mean, that's an interesting story. Like Warren, because Beatty just basically co-opted her, uh-huh. chewed her up and spit her out, right? Well, and um, she was in love with him, I guess. Was she? Um, who wouldn't be? Probably, you yeah. Know, right. <laughs> I mean, if I if I were get throwing up everything in New York to move across the si- yeah. country for six months, that might be a big factor. I probably know? would. Yeah, boy, we saw him recently out in public, and he's a uh, uh, he's very small. Oh, really? I mean, he's frail. Yeah. Um, well, he's up there, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, but it's you know, he, he, I mean, all those guys. It hurts to watch him age. Yeah, I know it. You know? It's like, it's like it's like looking at fat Axel Rose. It's like you know, there's something. This is a this is a crime against nature. You know that 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 is not supposed to happen to that right. person. That yeah. person is supposed to be, you know, epicene and beautiful forever. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's why some of them make the that shrewd career move to die young. But then yeah. that also has its carries its tragedies. It's hard to it's hard to uh, it's hard to see a star get really old. But then yeah. it's really inspiring to see a star get old and actually find a way to keep yeah. working. I and, mean, or, or even you know, or even not that old. You know, I was we were watching May December last night and. Um, Julianne Moore, I mean, you know, I guess Julianne Moore is probably, she's got to be in her early 60s now, right? She's um, got to be, yeah. She looks amazing. Absolutely amazing. You know, Julianne Anderson is kind of the same. Like, there's a certain, you know, sometimes someone will come and you'll just be like, man, he's more, more beautiful than you were 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's bizarre. Um, and, uh, you know, 
but anyway. Well, yeah, there's a there's that's it's a that's kind of its own. That's the actor's the actor's dilemma, the actor's gambit uh, yeah. of like how do you manage age? Even the, you know that's like the where almost like that's where the the aspect of failure um, becomes almost kind of like that's where it's like baked into the in baked into the just reality of life you know yeah. more so than anything else because with a writer you don't have to right you don't have to keep writing after at a certain age and you don't or if you do it can, it can potentially it can be you know close to as good as your best stuff that people won't think of you as some sort of a tragic case of decline. You yes, know? I mean, hopefully, yes, I, I, optimally. Optimally, um, yeah. It won't, like, it won't be. You know, it doesn't have to be embarrassingly no, different. No, than, yeah, you you can maintain a certain amount of. I mean, it's you know, look, the whole thing about the movies is that uh, obviously, yeah, you know, again, I remember this when I was a studio executive. I remember there was a you know, like I'd hear sort of people hand wringing about actresses at forty, and I just would sort of think. Yeah, you know, and I was 28 or whatever, and I would just think like, yeah, whatever. It's like that's not real. Um, but of course, all the actor, all the actresses I was thinking of were then, you know, 28 themselves, right? You know, and then you look at the way the industry kind of like closes the door. You know, just like they just disappear. Even Julia Roberts, like the biggest fucking star in the world, like more, you know, kind of like, you know, right. Meg Ryan. These people who just they go away, right? And um, you know, and that's 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 fucked up <laughs> well yeah i mean it's the it's the it's kind of the trade you make too in a way it's sure like, i mean it's a it's a it's a thing it's like you the one of the reasons you made zillions of dollars at yes. 28 is that you weren't 40 i yes. mean you know like yeah. You, yeah you were you were you gave people you gave people the promise that sure. one then one must one never has to become 40 right <laughs> you right. sold this to people but dudes, in a way but dudes can be older and still get cast in these right i mean this is less and less the case this is less I mean, there's a lot of 50 year old uh, heroines these days no and you know? i mean look all, all, which is all all to the you know a, a market improvement right it is a, it is a market improvement that 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 the sort of old standard of sort of like we're going to cast you know 65 year old you know so and so in this movie and we're going to pair him you know, in a romantic relationship with a with a you know twenty seven year old actress. <laughs> but, um, well, that's a separate topic because I think it may, it may have been swung too far to the point where it's yeah, almost like well, sure. I mean, the, sexuality has almost become you know. Yeah, well, that shit is that shit is likewise deranged. I mean, look the the kind of you know puritanism. Yeah. <laughs> that you know that kind of which which of course has always been a part of of, of American life but you know we're really obviously living through a very exaggerated you know a, a place where people just get deeply fucking histrionic about about uh, the bare facts of life yes yes <laughs> yes about about sexuality yeah. about age gaps about all this bullshit all this that, stuff that is that is uh you know like you know 99 times out of 100 really not real no at it's least, not real at least not the way that people get it's you also know, it's also more Puritan. It's also in many ways we're more Puritan now than like the 1950s. If you look at some of these topics, yeah. it's like with the the age gap thing, with yeah. the with the lack of you know with the 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 like any kind of you know. I mean, there's so many examples that I've I've um, complained about, and and it's so obvious. I mean, the lack of sex on screen now is actually 
so palpable if you're really if you're really you know not caught up in like certain if you're not caught up if you're actually looking for it there's very little yes and when there yes. is it's yes. so impressive that it pops out like with saltburn for example yeah a very, yeah very good example yeah uh last year there was some i'm trying to i mean with euphoria for example sure. there are but, these examples where it's like wow i forgot that you could have a there could be an erotic sizzle to the right. moving image Ooh, right who knew yeah, you know, although I do think that, like, there's there's probably kind of, like, multiple reasons for that. I mean, it's also true that it's just, like, man, like, you know, like, you know, sex in the movies probably peaked, you know, in the in the 90s, right? I mean, that was when you kind of had right, kind sure. of, you know, I mean, not, did I say peaked? And it's like, well, no, you know, it's like, you could argue that it peaked in, in the, the 70s. 70s or yeah, it probably with, in the 70s. Or it peaked with Don't Look Now or, you know, right. right? Or it peaked with any number of movies that had amazing sex scenes in them. But I think, you know, the point is, I think some of its decline is due to kind of puritanism. Like some of it is just due to the fact that like porn is so accessible. Oh, sure, right? yeah, yeah. There's less of yeah. a. There's obviously there's less of a like purient purient market. Yeah. Or or appeal to these things. Yeah, but you do, you're right. You'll be surprised though if you put if you put you know I mean I, people got really the last not the last because they're you know Euphoria finally brought some back and then there's been a few examples just in the last year of some some sort of sexuality on screen but. Uh, for for years and years, the last, the very last erotic moment yeah. was what's her name's boobs in True Detective season one. Oh, uh, yeah. What's her name? I, I, her name is just like slipping um, my mind. <laughs> she, uh, the, the actress's name. It's wrong. Yes, and, and I mean I've seen it. Yeah. God knows how many times. The bouncing. That yeah. was, and again, 2013. There's porn everywhere. Yeah. And in fact, better than now. Yeah. Um, and and people were just absolutely over the moon about that scene you know yeah. straight guys gay guys everyone uh so i don't know i think that you know there's a there's still a certain magic because porn is porn is porn is like porn is it has its own problems yeah it's of course become really boring yeah um so when you find a moment within a movie that you care about anyway or a tv show or whatever to find to like to have a real uh sexual tension or a scene or anything i think it's still it's surprisingly effective yeah but all of which is to all of which is a is a way of i mean i'm i'm still obsessed a little bit with because we're in a death spot with f scott fitzgerald's yeah kind of the 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 template the myth you know the way he was the i mean i i was just thinking about it re, re, i mean i'm like first of all we don't have do we have any recorded conversation with? Does his voice in yes, on record? It it does. It, I've heard it in what I've heard it once, and I'm trying to remember what the context was. A short reading. It was him reading. He may have been reading Keats. He was reading somebody else's text. Okay. He was not reading himself. But we haven't heard him talking like. No, he's yeah. not. He's not. It, it, it's definitely not widely transmitted. Um, and his voice is quite wonderful and quite strange. You know, writers never sound like you think they're going to sound. Yeah, do they? yeah. No, they don't. Um, which is always such a such a trip. When, yeah, you know, you have such a pronounced voice in your head, uh, you know, about such and such a writer, and then you and then you see them or you hear them talk, and you're like, holy crap! You yeah, know, so that's what they sound like. You know. Yeah, it it yeah. is a trip, and and in his and in the case of many, you think, well, it's a good thing we don't have. You know, I was just thinking, I wish I had, I wish I knew what he sounded like in a conversation like the one we're having. Yeah, I I wish I knew what he sounded like when he was just talking to people. Uh, when he was just, let's say, you know, chit-chatting with the booksellers at yes. Stan, Stanley, yes. Ro Stanley yeah. Rose yes. or something, you know. Yeah, totally. Or muttering at the bar or whatever. Um, I wish I knew 
because it would tell, I mean, it would reveal so much about him. Yeah. On the other hand, the absence of it does kind of cement his mythology. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Or uncement yeah. it, whatever. No, it's, like. it's, it, that's exactly right. I mean, there is, you know, that sense of um, mystery, which, which, you, which is another thing that I miss. I certainly miss it vis-a-vis books and writers. You know, um, I had an interesting conversation with uh, Lauren Stein when he was running the, the Paris Review, and we, he, you know... And he said, you know, oh, the, the interviews are my least favorite part of the magazine. And I, and I said, really? Like, wow, everybody loves weird. the interviews. Yeah. And he said, yeah, but he's like, everybody everybody gets interviewed now. You know, every, right. like every time, you know, every person has a novel out and they, you know, 600 interviews with them. And I was like, that's true. Yeah. You know? And, and uh, I mean, <laughs> well, I'm doing one. My heart aches. I'm a Drowsy numbness pains my sense As if of hemlock I had drunk Or emptied some dull opiate to the drains A moment since the leafy word had sunk Tis not from envy thine happy lot But being too happy in thine happiness That thou, light-winged dryad of the trees In some melodious plot of beech and green and shadows numberless singest of summer and full-throated ease. Oh, for a draught of vintage that hath been cooled along our in the deep delved earth, tasting of flora and the country green dance, and Provencal song and sunbeam mirth. Oh, for a beaker full of the warm south, full of the true, the blushful hippocrene, Beaded bubbles winking at the brim And purple stained mouth But I might drink and with thee Fade into the forest dim Fade far away And fast forget what thou on earth hast never known The weariness, the fever and the fret Here where men sit and hear each other groan Where palsy shakes a few last sad gray hairs where youth grows dumb and fever thin and dies new love cannot live beyond tomorrow where beauty cannot live It's a, it's a, it's something where yeah the you know I this is a, it's a it's a topic that or it's a kind of line of investigation that uh, I'm I'm obsessed with which is because also when you're here it's 
there's a way in which there there's a re, there's a, a boomerang. Yeah. We we are uh, this city has exported the dream, dreams for the entire world, uh, fantasies for the entire world, yeah. and for and and especially America, um, and and also themes and I you know ideas and habits and trends, a lot of which you know I, honestly. There's been a, I, I would, it's fair to blame a lot of the casual, uh, uh, the, a lot of the casual or the, or the, the commonality of divorce and, yes. and of, and of the way, you know, especially in the night, especially for like people between your age and my age from your, yeah. that, that, that yeah. stretch. Right. It's like, if you look at the movies from, from, from a period of decades, watch careful. There's a, um, if you look at the movies um, there, and TV shows, it's like there was such a normalization of divorce. Yes. <laughs> well, that, this was this was a this was a thing that happened in the you know in the late seventies. I think that when all the Hollywood executives and my dad was very much one of them mm-hmm. were kind of when those people were going through when that when the kind of wave of when the national seventies divorce wave yeah hit Hollywood right. Um, it became sort of like natural that like <laughs> in their beautifully solipsistic way all those executives were like it's time for movies about divorce yeah and you know and there was a there was like a, a whole like fusillade of them in, a, in about a three year period right there was Kramer versus Kramer of course yeah was, okay, can't escape that one there was yeah. starting over there was an unmarried woman there was uh, shoot the moon which I think is the best I have devastating. Oh. It's um, but you know you I uh you know um, God there was one in which Pacino played a playwright. Oh, yeah. he, he not only played a playwright, he played an Armenian playwright. Yes, author, author. author. <laughs> yes, you know. So but that was kind of a divorce movie, wasn't it? I it was. That. No, yeah. it was a totally divorce yeah. movie. It was a hundred percent divorce yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a whole genre that's unnamed. Yes. The divorce movie. Yes. Yes. I mean, I mean, I've 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 talked about this, um, and written about this a little bit. Um, you know, and when I was um. Shortly before my parents got divorced, um, my dad put my dad, the talent agent, put um, Bruce Dern, cast Bruce Dern in a in a movie called Middle Age Crazy, mm-hmm. um, where he played like a like a dude in Dallas who was like married to Anne Margaret, and he like he just he like developed this big kind of like he developed the hots hots for one of the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, yeah, like, bought like a Porsche, like you know it was like the whole fucking like thing on his 40th birthday he like freaks out about his mortality and mm-hmm. just just you know like tries to become kind of a swinger yeah um you know and of course you know my dad ended up kind of not exactly doing that but you know sort of doing that a couple years later mm. <laughs> no, i mean it's 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 we we prefigure <laughs> these things are prefigured yes all the time yes and it's you know and there is cause and effect when it comes to when you look at it from a large enough from a from enough of a distance, you know, yeah, the, yeah, the cause totally. and effect comes back because, and so yeah, to me it's like the the yeah they the, when the divorce hit here and then and then it immediately was just absorbed into the entire storytelling machinery and that there's all these different consequences of that you have you know there there's the obviously on the on the outset it seems like oh this is very um, uh, progressive and free lovey type of style or, or, you know, careless. But then on the other hand, there's the Puritan aspect, yes. which is that anytime there is the slightest 
figment of infidelity, well, that's grounds for divorce. Yeah. No matter how many kids you have, no matter what kind of life you have, tear it up because this yes. is, that's, well, it's over. And it's like, where did that idea come from? That's not a very old fashioned idea. Yeah. That's no. a very newfangled idea. It's a very newfangled yeah. idea. Um, and I don't think that it's a very good idea, but no. that's a, that's a different topic. Yeah. Well, that's the same topic, but it's a, it's a, it's definitely, um, I'm a, I, I appreciated Bob Dylan's rant against divorce lawyers in his recent book. <laughs> he, read, he goes on a rant yes. about divorce lawyers that I, that really appealed to me because I, I that was like that's been a, a bit that I've had I've been like screaming into the void. Um, but F. Scott Fitzgerald, I keep coming back to F. Scott Fitzgerald because we're also now I five you know there are many different twin there are many different like twin pairings in your book that one can detect. I mean, obviously, Carol Eastman and your mother is a big one. Yes. And the Carol Eastman thing is really interesting to me because, and we're just now, this, we're like now we're at, pulling up in front of our house. pulling up in front of Carol Eastman, who's a, now let, first let's, because because to be honest, nobody who's listening to this, unless they're very sophisticated or has already read your book, will know who Carol Eastman is, especially since her name doesn't actually appear. Yes, where she writes, yes, her, where she on her, where she the movies she's written. Carol Eastman was a was a, a screenwriter, um, and she she's most she's best known as a screenwriter for having written the script for Five Easy Pieces, which right. um, which won an Academy Award and or, or uh, actually did it win or was it just nominated? It was just nominated. It was nominated. I think. Um, but you know, it's it's the 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 kind of Jack Nicholson's first iconic performance that catapulted him to becoming a star. Yeah, and. Eastman was somebody who, in kind of Hollywood lore, um, you know, she she shows up, if you read, like, Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, like, she kind of crops up, like, people will go, kind of, oh, Carol Eastman, like, she was, yeah, she was, like, she was so beautiful and so eccentric, and, um, you know, and, and Nicholson just loved her, and um, and Robert Town in that book says, like, yeah, she was, you know, she had... She had she she had a head like a like a tulip on a long stalk, hmm. like you know on a long thin stalk, like um, you know. But also like she was completely diff- she was very difficult. She was impossible. She was agoraphobic. She hated to be photographed. Um, uh, she wouldn't get on an airplane, um, you know. And uh, and uh, and she was you know totally nuts. She's she's like if we're if we're make if to stick to my to the world of metaphor I introduced earlier, she, you might call her a cul-de-sac of some kind. Yes, 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 totally. There was no um you know and there's and you and I remember kind of like searching around on the internet for her like I you know I'd been writing a project at one of the networks and um and you know my producers were kind of coaxing me to you know invent a character it was an adaptation of one of my own books and they were like yeah you know like she's that that character like she should be a screenwriter you know like a like but kind of like difficult maybe kind of blocked like a like a carol eastman type yeah and so <laughs> yeah you know and I, and I was sort of looking around for 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 carol eastman and you know and there was nothing about her on the internet there was one pr- really pretty good article by nick pinkerton but like there were no you know there, there were no pictures of her like you if you googled for photographs like you could find like a there had been a, there had been another model like she had been a model in the in the late fifties early sixties, and so there were a couple of like kind of like blog posts where it was like this is Carol Eastman and it turned out that like there was another Carol Eastman who was also a model, and like you know so that they had they had misidentified. Oh God! So I was sort of like you know there were no images of her. The only way I finally found like found a moving image of her was she had been very briefly an actress. And she appears in an, in an early issue, uh, episode of, of Alfred Hitchcock Presents right. um, with young Robert Duvall. Um, 
and so you know finally I was like oh like I can I can see her and you know watch her talk and um, she wasn't a particularly gifted actress but she was very um, she certainly was beautiful and and you know and the script for 5D pieces is so good and 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 her other scripts um, you know she had written a, a, a western for Monty Hellman called The Shooting um, which also had Jack Nicholson yeah. uh, in it and it was really very good um, uh, she wrote a movie called um, A Puzzle of a Downfall Child which is which is great um, with Faye Dunaway she wrote uh, she wrote um, she did the English translation for that movie Model Shop that French, you know Jacques Demy French movie Model Shop mm-hmm. um, wait I think I saw wait I think I've seen Model Shop yeah it's kind of like, iconic it's, yeah. it's um, you know it, Don Draper watches it in Mad Men like it's oh, okay. you know it's kind of like the ultimate sort of like cool like 1968 LA movie yeah um, I saw it I think you know yeah. what I saw it at uh, at uh, Quentin's Theater yeah, uh, yeah yeah we're on a first name yeah. basis yeah. Quentin and yeah. I yeah, yeah at the New Beverly yeah. I saw it not that long ago this last year yeah. it was really good yeah <laughs> it was it's, really fun it's to fantastic watch. Um, yeah. and then there's a Mike Nichols movie with Nicholson and Beatty um, called the the fortune um, that's um, that's kind of a mess and uh, it was a big flop and and I think it kind of um, you know after the fortune she didn't have anything produced for like almost twenty years but but um, but you know it's I I like that movie the Coen brothers love that movie and you can kind of see why um, you know it's it's way too long and it's it it's um, it's not great but it has moments of real kind of like amazing comedy and energy so I was fascinated by who you know who was Carol Eastman Mm -hmm. Um, and when I wrote the book I went to her papers are housed at the University of of Texas at Austin so I went there for a few days to you know to kind of read her her some of her correspondence and her letters and even after doing that I was sort of um, confounded Um, and since I've written the book I've I've gotten to know her her surviving family members and I've I've read a lot you know learned a lot that I didn't know when I wrote the book um, which is pretty stuff I wish I had known because uh, she was she was really big in Nicholson's life like bigger even than than one can imagine he she he really had a you know they, I, I had wondered if they had a romantic relationship and um, which I you know correctly found out when I was writing that they didn't um, but uh, I don't think it was because Jack didn't want to <laughs> she was just on she was just out of out of grasp I think that I think that she was kind of congenitally unavailable and you know I think she was drawn to women a little bit more than she was to men mm-hmm. she had relationships of both kinds I think I, in the book I'd talk about you know she she there's sort of some correspondence with Jean Moreau right right that's where it's, the surprise where it's yeah. pretty obvious that she and you know that she was in love with Moreau and Moreau right. was kind of pushing her off right um, the, and, the, but I think she was that for Nicholson I think um, I've yeah. seen footage of him speaking at her funeral and, and he was very uh, you know he it's it's very weird to watch real life footage of Jack Nicholson and he's just sobbing he can barely he can I barely love Jack Nicholson himself. for that reason because oh, how, how much he just loves things like, like yeah. much, he loves the Lakers he loves Carol Eastman yeah. you know he has these like big I, I think, attachments I think he's a very loyal man I think yeah. he, he always was and, and I also think that he was also I mean you know I'm sure very complicated as a partner but but I think him and Beatty had a gift for friendships with women like you know yeah. I, I think for guys who were sort of both notorious in their for their uh, you know their sexual insatiability I think that they were people who really 
liked women. <laughs> yeah, no, there is that type. And there, I, there, there, believe yeah, it or not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there I, are, and I really like. I yeah. like seeing that. I like. I've that. been accused of being that. Type. Are you been a, yeah. yeah. Well, there's yeah. a type you know who are. There's a type who are. I'll tell you the the, the dark side. Yeah. There is a type who are in incapable of friendships with men. Yes. And then they have no choice, you know, and then it's like all they have, and I think that's a defect. Yes. Uh, but but th- when that's not the case. Yes. And they're also capable of real friendships with women, that's very admirable because it just, yes. you know, it's a, it's a... Yes. It means that your heart is open in ways that are not common. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think that that's probably, uh, that's probably true. And I, uh, anyway, I think, I think, uh, you know, so Nick Nicholson's relationship with her was very interesting, but she, you know, again, and I've like now that I've seen lots and lots of photos of her, and I've read, I've read, you know, hundreds of pages of journals, which is a very weird thing to do with a with a person, you know, especially someone who's as congenitally private as Carolisman was. You know, I, I sort of feel like I, I know her in ways that the people who actually knew her didn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and um, you know, and it, it feels a little you know. There's an element of trespass in that, but I but I also feel like she was such a, you know. I think in the book, I I had felt a kind of intuitive likeness between her and my mother, and and um, and that turns out to be quite correct. I think that you know, and and just just having, you know, gone through her her the you know her notebooks and her books and kind of knowing what she was reading and how she was thinking about it and how she talked to herself about writing. Um, you know, I do think she was she was a a, a real genius, like a, a writer who, if she had not been so obstructed and so tormented by it, um, you know, she she wrote a lot of you know in, in her private writings. There's there's there are poems and there's sort of very strange po- prose that feels almost like like Hart Crane or or Wallace Stevens or you know just has this incredibly um, c- kind of rich, dreamlike, um, kind of jagged peculiarity that I just can't get enough of. It's really an amazing writer she was. There is, should we step out for yeah, so Yeah, let's, 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 let's breathe the, her the, spirit. Yeah. And I'll take a pick too if the homeowners don't mind. Yeah, yeah, this is a very, I mean, it's, it's so... I love this because it's like right off Melrose. Right? Oh yeah, like you know, which I'm, and I'm sure in the in the, you know, that that's always been like that. More yeah, or less, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at least as long as I would. Uh, yeah. I mean, that that Earth Cafe. <laughs> yeah. Little that one corner of the Pacific Design Center. Yeah. yeah and there's like these are nice houses here. Are these going up or down? She's five fifty one and five fifty one and a half. This is five thirty. Yeah. Oh, so, okay, wait, so maybe, 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 maybe. I think that says 520-something. Oh, does it? Let me see, let me see, hold on. Yeah, that's 520-something, okay. so we got to go up, yeah. She might have worked right on the other side, so we have Oh, that's no problem. It's, it's, I mean, there's a few things that pop to me, because I have not familiar, I mean, other than 5 easy. Five easy pieces. Five easy pieces. Um, I'm not familiar with her work. With her, and I'm going to now watch every. Oh, I should say, Model Shop is the other one. Yeah, I didn't Model even know she wrote. I didn't even know she wrote Model Shop. I think she that, just translated, but still, I think. Yeah. I think that the. Um, but still, it's it's yeah. 
there's so, if, this is a career that does not happen if yeah. not for the lifting of the uh, the lifting of the formulas in the 1960s, 70s yeah. Hollywood. Like, yeah. this is not a career that is possible to imagine in the 30s. By 47. By 47. So we're close. So she's right, yeah, like right here. She was 5, 551 and a half. So, oh yeah. There we are. So this is it. Let me take a pick. Do you mind uh, being in the pick? No. Okay. All right. Let's see if I can get that tree. All right, this is nice. <laughs> I'll take one like this. But didn't you tell me Wellman hasn't decided yet? And Jerry has a perfect right to try. He's a good actor. What are you, his lawyer or something? Tell me that you and old Jerry have been swinging while I've been out on the coast. Of course not. We just had a few dates together. Fun things. Fun things, huh? You and old Jerry. Oh, hey, Lady Chatterley, why don't you get us another jolt, huh? Not for me, thank you. Please, Bart. Yeah, well, I'm celebrating. But there's nothing to celebrate yet. Oh, yes, there is, chick. There's lots to celebrate. He's clearly appealing to your sensibility as a literary person. Yeah. Who's, yes. in, you know, who's, yes. who's like yes. forced yes. into being a Hollywood person by yeah. the fact that being a literary person is no longer a viable option in the United States of America by the time, I mean, or it's a very limited, yeah. very, very limited option. I mean, you're somebody who we share this thing. You write about it. You, you kind of looked, you know, I wrote screenplays in high school and I was like, this is, this is for, this is for, um, this is for rubes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is like not yeah. writing. I mean, I, you know, I hated it. I, I, I have to say, you know, that there's, a, I mean, look, I, I, I am a natural prose writer and a less natural screenwriter. Yeah. Um, that's always been the case. I, 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 you know, I know a lot of screenwriters who are really fucking great at their jobs you know I mean right. I think like Larry Karaszewski is a screenwriter he's a you know he's not he's not a <laughs> you know he's right. not Many a novelist people. and has no desire to be and has no need to be and, right. and I think you know there are certainly people um, you know I, I think these days probably I see it more in TV but it's like you know if, if I could write if I if I were capable of writing screenplays like David Milch or you know or, or no holly mm. i wouldn't need the novel right you'd be you'd be I, i'd be i'd be fulfilled fulfilled yeah by my, you know w working inside the you know that, that medium um you know so you know and but i but i do think and this was very true growing up and i st you still encounter it a little bit where you know you like i used to encounter screenwriters all the time and they'd be you know oh what do you what do you write and be like ah, you know i'm a novelist oh so you're a real writer and I would be like, so is screenwriting not real writing? Right, um, right. You know, and I, I think that it, I think that, uh, I think that it is, and I, I don't get the sense that Carol Eastman ever tried to write something that wasn't, you know, was ever interested in writing something that I think she was a screenwriter. Well, I um, mean, if you could get the thing to, it's, it's, it's blows my mind that she could get those movies made. I mean, when you just, yeah. all you have to do is read the, your description of those 10 projects yes, that she put, yeah. that she puts on. They're completely... Yeah. 
I mean, they're, you know, they're like these psychedelic literary yes. experiments. They're, yes, they're but <laughs> what she had in her favor, right. and this is also something that, that has become very clear to me since, is that everything that she wrote, irrespective of whether or not it got made or not, she wrote it for Nicholson. Right. You know, in her own right. words. She had her the, patron. The, the, the dude that she wrote for, the man in, in any script she ever wrote, right. was Jack. And that's the secret and sauce. You yes. need to have a fucking, you need to yes. know who you're writing the fucking thing yes. for. And she had, I mean, you know, she certainly had, um, you know, I think <laughs> one piece of kind of weird apocrypha about her, this is another wild story, is that um, it is said within her family, at least, that Bob Dylan proposed to her. Um, she, and, she and Dylan were very friendly in the in like, and this was quite early, like '64. That's very interesting. I think interesting. probably after he broke up with Suze Rotolo, right? Um, you know, like right when Dylan was about to plug in. That's right. when she and Bob were close. That's crazy. And and it's you know whether or not he proposed to her, I'm sure he felt about her the way that every man who right. she had that kind of involvement with did. Right. Um, you know, even even. <laughs> Even the gay men that I've known who, with whom she had a close attachment, I've met a couple, you know, were sort of like, well, I can't say we had a romantic relationship, but it's the closest I've ever come to that with a woman. <laughs> right. Yeah, I can, uh, she, yeah, she's definitely the type to, I can see, yeah. for, that would uh, yeah. mesmerize yeah. the gay imagination yeah. and also the literary imagination yeah. and the, the Bob Dylan gaze. I yes. can 100%. It makes a hundred. It makes total sense. Yeah. I just did a huge Bob Dylan deep dive personal thing, uh-huh. and so I, 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 my previous episodes is about him. And, oh, uh, amazing! And yeah. the, and his current I tour. To that. I yeah. love it. Yeah. yeah, I I did two like I I did it in two parts because I was so I, I saw him on uh, at the Pantages. Yeah, and I saw him again in Brooklyn just the other week. Yeah. Um, but I've been you know live trying. I've been living in my version of his mind. Yeah. And <laughs> I could totally see why. Yeah. Uh, uh, I was just gonna and you know. The, the way these things connect, too, I mean, I was just thinking when we were talking about McGuane yeah. and Key West, yeah. which is a song on his Bob Dylan's yes, I know, I know. album, yeah. which I've been yeah. listening to millions of times. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just like, the, 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 yeah, the connection between this like westernmost point yes. uh, and that southern easternmost point uh, somehow is, it's like there is a, a hole underneath the ground that you can crawl under in Hollywood and you'll end up in yes. Key West. And you and there's a hole, and you and you enter the Carol Eastman's apartment, and somehow Bob Dylan is there. Yes, right, 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 right. Well, I there is, know. you know, there there is something about, and this is probably, you know, it's true of this book, and it's true, you know, the, these lines. What I found when I was writing this book was that the lines kept intersecting, where I, you know, I, and in ways that I didn't, that were even surprising to me. I was like, oh, like here I am writing about, you know, Frank Perry, and it was only like one, you know, two chapters later, I'm like, oh, like. I'm writing about McGuane and like Frank Perry directed you know a, a, one of the McGuane scripts. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know, there is a, a sense of kind of like recurrence, right, or the fact that the figures in the book tend to intersect in, and often in very surprising and strange yeah. ways. Um, but mostly, what that says is is that you know even today, I think this is still true, which is that the world of, of art and artists, like, it's shocking how how. You know, it's a small. It's a small world. <laughs> it, you know, I mean, I mean it, you know, not 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 really in the sense that it, it's both small and very populous. But it's like it's a little surprising to me. I don't know. I mean, it's like even even for me with this book, like I'll, I will hear from people 
you know, some of them writers, some of them musicians or whatever, and I'll be like, how, like I'll be like, how the fuck did you even get this book? How did you get this number? You know, <laughs> right? Like, uh, you know, it, it, you know, I, I think it's kind of natural for for artists to be drawn to other artists. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and to make you yeah. know, I, people like Warren Zevon being was Zev, yeah. Zevon or Zevon? Zevon. Yeah. Zevon being yeah. in your book makes total sense because right. he's written so many songs about L.A. Yes. I mean, to but me, that, like, that was another one was was writing about Tom McGuane and then right. and then finding out like, oh, like Tom McGuane and Zevon like right. Tom McGuane wrote lyrics for Warren Zevon. Right. That's which right. is cra- yeah. That was yeah. a cra- cra- yeah. you know just reading it was like that's that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah it's really and I'm not strange. and I'm not familiar with McGuane's work. I'm going yeah. to be now. I buy. Yeah. I buy Bushwhack piano at Mercer Bookstore in New York. Uh, you know, while I was reading your book, I, f- I found a, it. He's a trip, man. Uh, yeah, and, he's alive, right? Uh, yeah, he's alive. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, he's. You know, and uh, somebody. The thing about McGuane that blew my mind was, and, and I still don't know if this is true. I mean, I think it's probably at least semi-true. But I was talking with one friend about McGuane, and they said, they said, oh yeah, he's he's the lowest kept. He's the, he's the lowest profile. Um, billionaire in America and I said uh, I said millionaire and he said no no billionaire with a B I was like Tom McGuane's a fucking billionaire like from what what? Um, if he's not literally a billionaire whatever yeah he's he's definitely got uh, yeah I think I think to you know because it's like (laughs) yes I think it's real estate some of it is real estate he bought a fuck ton of land in Montana when that was inexpensive so Mm -hmm. that's that's a large part of it but also I think you know, there was this sense of like, oh, his dad was a, you know, a, a successful, uh, you know, auto parts distributor or something. And, you know, apparently it's a little more than that. More than his that, dad yeah. was a, was a, was, you know, right. I think there was a lot of money. There's a lot of money to begin with. Right, got yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, but it's an interesting surprise because yes. also a lot of, you know, yeah. billionaires don't necessarily, yeah. Uh, he, he may have a mere, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars to right. his name. But, but he's independently wealthy, yes, as they say. Wealthy. Yeah, which is yeah. which um, is interesting to know. I have seen somebody I'm going to explore, thanks to you, because I, I didn't. I, he was not on my radar before I read your yeah. book. Yeah. Now, t- to me, mm-hmm. Carol Eastman feels like a almost, re- you know, successful version of the screenwriter F. Scott Fitzgerald wanted to be. Yes, well, look... Successful. I mean, successful in the sense that she wrote and ma- movies were made of her work. Yes. That well, that and her, you know, yeah. and she had a literary ambition that is really off the, you know, off of Sunset Boulevard and off of yes. even Santa Monica yes. Boulevard, and and is very Fountain Avenue, um, or even more obscure. Uh, and and to me, it's like it felt like, you know, I'm speaking, I'm I'm tr- I'm just putting a very specific spin, of course, on the on the. The harrowing tale of Escott Fitzgerald in Hollywood. Yes, but he he clearly had to me like this. His ambition was similar to I think yours and mine, which was that being a literary person at heart, who right. wanted to somehow, uh, in somehow bring that, somehow realize that through through film well, against I, all I, odds I, and I, against I all think, formulas. I think yes. I think you know what people often. Or where people can be wrong about Fitzgerald is they think, oh, he just went to L.A. to sell out and make money. And no, he wanted to make movies. He he was really he was really you know he took screenwriting very seriously. Yeah, I know. And too too seriously. Yes, too, too seriously. <laughs> yeah. And it, yes, and I think that got him in trouble. And I think you know he never did write a great script, um, but they're not as bad as. <laughs> 
as you know, sometimes people are like, oh, he just came out and wrote a bunch of bad scripts. No, I think what they don't even realize is they were, they were too, in a way, like they were too literary, yes, right? Because he, like, exactly he wrote right. long, like he would write establishing shots yes, that were like, yes. you know, openings to novels. Too, too much description and too yeah. much, yeah, he didn't, you know, the, the medium did not come naturally to him. And he, right. But he, he definitely got better within it, um, you know, and, and then he, <laughs> he died. But that question of yeah. success as a screenwriter or as any kind of artist, right? It's like, you know, you're, you're always, because the bar moves when you're, when you're practicing. It's like, you know, you sort of, when you're just starting out, you're just like, God, if I could just publish a book, that's success. Right. You know, and then you're just sort of like, oh, if I could just get nominated for a prize, that's right. success. If I could just win the prize, that's success. Right. And, and um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know very many writers or artists of any kind who sort of are like, I made it, you know? Yeah. Maybe, you know, maybe, you know, I would assume that, you know, Quentin feels that way. Or well, you would think Marty or whatever. If they don't, nobody ever has or yes, ever will. Yes, or, I mean, or, or ever will. They, they can get, and they can make anything they, if you're at a place where, yeah. um, I mean, this is, a, this is a big question, which is almost the scariest one in your book. I mean, your yes. book is about failure. Yes. Your book is a, is an exploration of failure, and it's, I mean, I don't know if you would, I, I, try, I always try to find a non-fatalistic way of dealing with that term because it can be such a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes. For anything, it could be. A, yes. It could be like it's very easy to call LA a city of failure. Yes. And I don't want that to be. Yes. What's on the gravestone? No, <laughs> I don't. Want, no, you know. Nobody does. Or in the yeah. sky. No, yeah. I don't. And it's and it's like, um, of course, it's true to a degree that there's a zillion people who come here to fail. Yeah. And a zillion people who. And, and, you know, in your book, it's like, these people aren't failures. They're all, they all, ma- they were all massively, I mean, yeah, I, I except so. maybe for your mom. Yeah. Yeah. I, who, think, I think my mom, it's safe to say, you know, failed. I, I mean, but, you know, again, the question is, I don't know what she, what my mom wanted at the, at the end of her life. Right. It wasn't to be an artist. And, right. and so it's like, you know, that, that is also a, you know, we have these ideas about, you know what's going to mean for success for ourselves what other people is going to think what other people are going to think of as success but i think by now we should all sort of know that like it's never about what other people think right right it isn't <laughs> you know because other people don't even think that it's much. ultimately about how how you feel and you know like did you feel like you used your time here right but well you, right um you know it's probably the only meaningful metric right um, it, it, it's well because if you don't feel it all, all the other people in the world aren't going to convince you otherwise yeah so that's right you can have all the yeah you know yeah the, but you can you have know. a stadium full of people telling you that you're the best but if you think that you're 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 not yeah then you I end mean, up you end up yeah. you end up on the you end up uh, rolling up rolling up on uh uh you know the chateau marmont floor or yeah. something yeah pretty much uh, or so, which is crazy to think about i just i i i look at these people you know i look at i look at the people who od'd yeah. who clearly something was not yeah. holding up for them the center didn't yes. hold for them to, yeah. to coin a phrase yeah. um and uh like they, they i'm just like you know you think of all the millions who admire them yeah. who would give any who in their minds would give anything to have lived that life yes yes and and millions not just yes. like I'm, I'm thinking about john belushi i'm thinking yeah. about morrison i'm thinking about now you know some of those yeah. deaths are accidental but yeah. but still yeah it, sure there's you can name i'm thinking about everyone in your book i yeah. mean anyone anyone my age yeah 
would look at any person in your book, right. apart from your mom, yes. who's, you know, that, yeah. there's a different tragedy there, yeah. uh, which is that she was a, a, an alcoholic yeah. and uh, yeah. had a bad relationship with her son. Yes. So that's, right. that's right. bad. There's, that's no, bad. there's no way to pave that uh, otherwise with gold. So, but in terms of the, na- the, the, the figures who aren't part of your family life, even, yeah. but even your father's a big success. Yeah, that's so right. everyone, there, everyone there is like, wow, I can only dream of having Renata Adler's success. Right. I could only dream of, I mean, in terms of like, you know, external physical recognition. Yes, right. right. Platform and all this shit. That's not even available anymore. No, it isn't. And that, which is, which is a whole other kettle of fish that's not really available anymore. Right. But it is interesting that, you know, the people in this book and, you know, I I think, I think, you know, I think McGuane had it pretty good, I think, but I think most of them were pretty unhappy with their lot. Mm-hmm. Can't speak for Tuesday Weld. I don't know about her. Well, you know, nobody knows, I guess, you know, about I, Tuesday Weld. I, well. I think Warren Zevon, you know, wanted, wished he could be Bruce Springsteen. Uh, right. You know, I think, uh, I think uh, Carol Eastman, who, you know, really, really had such a tortured relationship to writing. Yeah. That I think, you know, probably spent most of her time in that house there being, um, being unhappy or blocked. <laughs> Well, who did she want to? Who did? Who did she? Because the thing about Carol Eastman mm-hmm. is that she—it seems like you—you know—she didn't want success. Yeah. But she's also in a in the game of you know writing for success. I mean, yeah. when you're writing, the thing about yeah. being a screenwriter that's different yeah. from being a novelist is yeah. that no matter what, you need to please other people. Yes. Like not just a, a small, small number of people. Right. You need right. to please. Uh, money people yes. and then you need to please at least a vast enough audience that you know yeah. it makes sense that you made that mo- that the movie got made <laughs> and and you and you have to and you and if you're writing a screenplay that's not going to get made you really are screaming into the void yes it's really truly a meaningless well, but she, activity she had people like you know i think you know i think for her money went up and down but she you know she had jack right she had she, jack she had um you know she had people like david geffen right uh, well that's were, a big one to have yeah and you geffen know. you know at, at her at her memorial, Geffen tells a story where he sort of, you know, that this he, he gave her a he commissioned a script for her for yeah. for a you know a nice six figure chunk of right. change in nineteen seventies. Yeah, nineteen six figures, and, <laughs> and it was a thing where he, you know, I think he said, to, you know, he said to her, "Look, you know, write whatever you want, give it to me when it's finished," um, and you know, so that for the next several years he would run into her and be like, "You got anything for me?" Yeah, so she's like, "I'll show it to you when it's finished." I'll show you. She just, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if you get what's whatever the equivalent of a hundred thousand dollars is today, yeah, and you're just to give it to somebody to write a screenplay on anything they want, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's like, uh, that's like, uh, you know, that's a lottery ticket type of thing that doesn't always end well. Yeah, you know, that's just like human nature. Yeah. (laughs) But the the point is, getting a hundred thousand dollars from David Geffen in 1970s to write a screenplay about anything you want is nobody's idea of. A failure. No, or no, bad luck. exactly. No, exactly. I mean, it's like that's the sort of thing that you would spend your entire career trying to right, trying, trying to, to get to the point where you had that. There's a lot of people I know. I, I've, I've met people who've done who've done um, far uh, uh, less exalted things and write screenplays for yes. far less money from yes. David Geffen. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's it's a weird. It's a strange connect. I, I mean. And if you have to go, please. Yeah, I, I should probably. Yeah, I just. I want to. Yeah, I want to wrap it around. I want to kind of bring it back to Fitz, F. Scott Fitzgerald as yeah, we go back to his, uh, to his place of demise. 
because the the whole idea of you know once I think when you think about it the whole idea of the failed screenwriter um, the tragic LA screenwriter is rooted in F Scott Fitzgerald that's and right before him there was no this this, this idea didn't exist and yeah that's right it did it really didn't and um, which is which is kind of um, kind of nuts isn't it I mean you know the the idea that that I mean I guess you know obviously there were there were other other people who, you know, I mean, it's like people people flame out everywhere. I don't think Fitzgerald was the first first unhappy drunk to have a you know to have a bad reckoning in Hollywood. Right. But I do think that that somehow his mythology that this guy who had who had made an enduring piece of American art, never mind that that enduring piece of American art, you know, had drifted out of print. Right. <laughs> right. You know, didn't do what hadn't what, wasn't wasn't enduring at that time. Right. Um, you know, uh, but you know that it became this kind of you know very tellable story. It's like, oh, you know, Hollywood is where you go to to squander your talent and have it never come back. And and you know, there may be there may be some uh, some truth to uh, you know to 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 that or some grain of truth. I mean, it's like you know you 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 know to to be sort of lavishly rewarded with money for this kind of thing can paralyze people. Um, Carol Eastman did eventually deliver that script to David Geffen, um, but it took her five years, and, uh, you know, and, and the end result was not, you know, turn, ultimately it turned into a, you know, a not very good movie when it was made, you know, a decade after that. Um, but I think, you know, so anyway, my, my point is, you know, even though I don't don't think this is what happened to Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald didn't cut. It wasn't like Fitzgerald came out here and and they just threw money at him. I mean, he came out here and, and they gave him some money and then and then times got really thin for him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was he was he couldn't sell a story, couldn't sell fiction. He was he was you know getting less and less for the scripts that he was writing. Um, you know, so it wasn't Fat City for him at all. Right. Um, which is interesting. But, um, right, no, it, it, he was very, yeah, he's like, you know, he didn't get the vast rewards that even, like, a Faulkner got. No, no, and, you know, and, and Faulkner is definitely someone who, who, you know, I mean, he he was lucky enough to write a couple of Howard Hawks movies. Right, of course, that, that um, helps. Which would help a great deal, but, but it, it, you know, um, you know, Faulkner was, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty far gone during his time here. Down into the bottle. Yeah. 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 Although I think he, you know, again, I don't think that was a, I don't think that was a geographic consequence. No. I think that was just the. Yeah, that was just him being drunk and coming here to make money. Yeah. To kind of, feed, yeah, I was like, it's clear that there was a, you know, there a lot of it is just, you know, boo-hoo. Uh, a drunk is coming here to to because he can get. Can make money for being drunk here. Yes. Where, it, whereas if he stays where he is, he's just going to write increasingly bad novels with that al- yes. alcohol and not make yes. and not make right. so much money. Right. So here he was able to come, come up with a bunch of stories, you know, and he came up with a bunch of like interesting premises for his own novels while he was writing in Hollywood, yes. which is interesting yes. too. I mean, yeah, of course. And and honestly, I mean, if only he had a chance to complete it. Um, uh, uh, Scott Fitzgerald's The Last Tycoon uh, would have I mean, been... I think that the, the the partial... This is my hot take for the moment, which is that the, the partial manuscript of 
The Last Tycoon is something that I prefer. The Love of the Last Tycoon, as its title is, I think, more properly rendered. The Love of the Last Tycoon, yeah, that's right. Is, um, you know, I, I prefer that to The Great Gatsby enormously. Interesting. Um, yeah. You know, you, you can't say it's a better novel because it's not finished. Right. But I think it, I think it, it gestures towards a much wiser and much more, uh, you know, emotionally rich and, and kind of resonant book even than Gatsby was, which, uh, you know. Which says a lot. And it's like, and I agree, and I, you know, I don't, I don't compare because yeah. I, you know, it's, it's a tricky thing to, you know, in pro, a lot of things are great and they're in promise. That, yes. You yes. know, and it's always like that, the, the, the miracle is always not in the promise. It's always in the, yeah, in of the, course. Yeah. Of course. Like, uh, yeah. But, but I do, I mean, it's got a lot of great things in it. It's subject matter is, I mean, you know, is the American dream machine, yes. you know, and, yes. and the people in it and the power the the power the uh, the power at play in it um, and the self kind of uh, the 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 wars within the self that happen in it I mean it's got it's it's really it shows that he was at, he was onto something he was paying attention oh yeah and also I think I think really the first great book about cinema about movies right um, you know and uh, you know which I'm sure had been written about more pop I mean I'm hard pressed to think of a of a of an earlier book than that, um, you know, that kind of contended with that world. Certainly fictionally, Seriously. yeah, it was yeah. like, you know, I mean, I don't, yeah, you, you know, nothing, Day of the Locust is not about movies. Uh, no, no, it, it really isn't, and, uh, you know, as... as uh, and neither is what makes Sammy run. No. So... No. Um, you know, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, those, as, as, as uh, and I guess what makes Sammy run was... Was that 30, 38? Something around 37, 38, 39. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. It's, yeah. it, it beats it, but it's not, I mean, but it's, you know, it's not, it's a, it, it's a very different sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's not, it's not that good. No, it's I, not. It's I, not. Uh, I think that I, I read The Disenchanted when I was in high school or maybe early college. Um, and it's funny because I didn't really, I didn't know at the time that, that the character Manly Halliday was was based on Fitzgerald. Oh, uh, that's, yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned, I haven't read The Disenchanted. Yeah. I don't know if it's yeah. worth reading, but. Yeah, it, it is, is, actually. Okay. It's better than what makes Sammy run. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I greatly prefer it to that. Um, I'll have to, I'll have to read that. I have to read everything that's important about Hollywood and L.A. at some point, so. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's a, you know, it's, it's, um, it's an interesting thing. I mean, you know, I, I feel like I've now, this book that I'm finishing is also about the you know Hollywood and the movies, and it's it's I think a subject I'm going to have to leave now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is it similarly non? Is it like in the same sort of no, style I mean, as this one? What I would say is no, it, it isn't. Although it is, it is, it is connected to it in a way. It's it's a it's a lot more like a novel. Like it's it's um it's purely you know just in the sense that it's like it, it really unfolds in in scene, mm. um, and it spans about. You know, it's got a narrative that spans about seventy-five years, and and uh, you know, some of it is about my parents, and some of it is about me, and some of it is about kind of the various people with whom our respective lives intersect. So it, it's a it's a memoir, and it does have sort of like um, a lot of stuff that's written in third person, like you know, in, in the from the perspective of, of um, different people who are involved in. Uh, 
you know, some of them are people that you would assume <laughs> that, that, that you would associate with Hollywood, and some of them really aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, the, the, what it's really about is sort of how the, the kind of rise and, I think, kind of end of the movies as the kind of central American, this, the center of American culture mm-hmm. and American life, yeah. right, in a lot of ways. I mean, which they really were. Um, uh, mirrors the, the decline of, of American Empire, the, the end of, of America as a as a as an idea, right, <laughs> and as a place. Um, um, so it's it's uh, it's got this kind of very personal narrative that kind of you know is the spine of it, mm-hmm. but it's got all this kind of kind of all these kind of braided narratives that that entwine with it in that way. It does resemble as crashing the same car, right? But those narratives are rendered like a novel rather than as me sort of like contemplating these, these right? These these memories, yeah, or these these kind of you know, top top I'm not, threads. I'm not approaching them as a, as a as a critic. I'm approaching them as a, as a you know as a narrative prose writer. Right, right. Yeah, I'm well, excited to hear that. Do you have a title yet for that, or is that? It is for now shop. called the Golden Hour. The um, Golden Hour. Yeah, but it won't be, and it'll probably have a subtitle of some kind, I assume. Um, right. But um, but I'm still, I still have a little. Look at that. The Fitz. We're passing the a building Fitz. The Fitz. That's somehow apt, isn't it? It is. The Fitz on. Fair, <laughs> the I wonder Fitz if it's. I, I wonder if it's connected I in sus- any way. I suspect so. Hope so. Where did you park? By the way? I'm on. I'm right in front of the like by the entrance to the Rite Aid parking lot. Oh, okay. So on that side, y- right? Yeah, I'm on the side of the street. Okay, cool. So, but doesn't matter. Cross that's right. I'll, I'll I'll loop around. Okay. That's actually that's perfect. Such a such a California question, right? Where'd you park? Right. Um, the quintessential LA. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where did you park? <laughs> Which side of the street? Right. Um, Holy hell. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, it's it's um it's 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 wild to me just how much. Yeah, he. Uh, I, I mean, it's it's commented on endlessly. It's not like it's anything new, but it's just I, I it hit me again like a ton of bricks. I mean, the the way that Fitzgerald wrote his own story in a way with Great Gatsby, and then lived a, and then like lived a similar, you know, or say spiritually similar sort of crash. And then uh, ended up here, and then and then kind of permanently made this city for the New York mindset a symbol of you know is it a symbol of where you go to deal with the devil and lose right right um, which just doesn't <laughs> it doesn't no it doesn't it does it, it's a very it's a very uh, faulty fable. Yes, that's exactly right, and it's it, it, it's completely, um, you know, I think it's just a way that, and you know, that goes back to I think that Puritanism, Puritanism we were discussing. Right. This is a place that that, you know, for the longest time, you know, the sort of uh, East Coast establishment couldn't esta- couldn't couldn't accept as real and or were scared of, right? Because um, there was too much joy and too much fucking and too much beauty out here. 
Right. Well, it's it's yeah. also it's just a projection of their own fears. I yeah. mean, they they have a view of it. I've I've been I've been noticing this up and down. There's a, a lot of the LA stereotypes are actually much truer of New York. Yeah, like yeah. a lot of them, yes. from the health ones to the to the drug ones to the yeah. shallowness ones to the yeah. trend obsessed ones. Yeah, totally. and and so there is a kind of psychodrama happening when they freak out about LA. That's one hundred percent a little bit more about the the inside what's coming inside of the tenement, but. Um, one must, but I, I'm, yeah, I, I, you know, it's also the thing about Scott Fitzgerald is that he, he seemed to be such a sweet man. Yes. That his relationship with success, which he celebrated, was, like, it was a very, to me, it was a very pure, like, and positive and American relationship. It wasn't the one that people like Hemingway or, or, you know, fucking Dorothy Parker, who, yeah. I'm sorry, you know, in these like the, the fact that the, all those fucking uh, nor, uh, uh, Algonquin table types would be snooty about Fitzgerald when he outshone them all in terms of the in the eyes of posterity, yes, is just so repellent. You know? Yeah, no, it's disgusting. And and you know, in Hemingway, for, in Hemingway's case, it was just that. Norman Mailer thing or that kind of Keith Richards thing. Yeah, just, right. He had, a, he had a great gift for running down His the rivals. talent of anybody who would, you know, whose who's, who's capacities and abilities were, were comparable. Right. Which is a, but it's 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 such a it's such a it's such a small dick energy thing because yes. it's like it's he because it's one thing if. You know, I, I, I have a great taste for rivalry. I like the I like these great literary feuds. There's no feud here. Fitzgerald did nothing but support him. One hundred percent was from generous, one, from one over end, generous from to one him. end to the other. And Hemingway like slandered him upside upside down. Yeah, that's not that's not a charming yeah. that's not a charming yeah. combination to me. If they were at war, you know, if they yeah. were if they were sniping at each other all the way through, that's one thing. Yeah. Or if there was a love hate relationship. But the when one guy was your benefactor yeah. all the way, boosted you even when you were you were mediocre yeah. as you. You know, like, and kept you, you know, kept gassing you up, even as his own fortunes were, so, you know, he was drawing from a, he wasn't, he wasn't, it wasn't exactly like he could afford to, um, he couldn't necessarily afford a generosity. And if you, if you were to look at it as where his standing was, he was always a good friend yeah. and you were just a piece of shit. And that's just, well, that's Hemingway's, I think, story with many different uh, Yeah, it sucks. Scenes, it but. sucks. Cause I think, you know, the sad thing about Hemingway is that, you know, and I had sort of forgotten this until I went and watched the Ken Burns documentary a couple years ago, which is, you know, which was, he was such an unusual, you know, striking writer really for at the very beginning. Um, you know, and then he became a celebrity, and the the writing I think did suffer from that. Really, yeah. um, you know, it, the writing immediately got worse. Um, you know, and then he was just a you know, and then he was an even bigger celebrity, and 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 you know, and also just like a guy with with TBI, like a guy who'd been hit in the head too many fucking times. Yeah. Um, you know, and um, you know, which which killed him, and you know, so there's a lot of pathos in that, but. I'm no, alone. there is, and I don't mean to yeah. like cheapen in any way. No, 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 but a fascinating but, 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 uh, but legacy and story. And the, he's a great writer as well. That part of it sucks. Uh, yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. It started out all right. Ended up all wrong. Should have done. Should have done. But that's my song. Falling hard and fast 
find I cannot sleep, battered by insomnia, and I do what any native-born Angelino would do under such conditions. I get up and go for a drive. It is my favorite hour in the city, the one in which the streets are empty and the traffic lights flash yellow. In a real dark night of the soul, it is always three o'clock in the morning, Fitzgerald wrote in The Crack Up, but isn't the hour of one's secret joy, one's private elation, the same? and the dawn waits somewhere unseen on the eastern horizon. At that hour, the Chateau Marmont is a drowsy shack hidden behind white walls and frowsy-looking palms. The Sunset Strip is nothing but a crummy road dotted with drunks and Uber drivers, boulevard of only the most stunted and abortive dreams. I blast up Crescent Heights and then follow Laurel, passing that apartment where I lived almost a decade ago, speeding up the hollow tunnel of the canyon all the way to Mulholland, where I hang a left. It is so quiet now, almost impossibly silent, as I wind along this street that is named after the city's legendary architect and water baron, the one whose possible crimes have been laid out and tried in the movies, too, and which runs above Los Angeles like a ridged scar or a spine. It winds roughly parallel to a Sunset Boulevard, but high above it. As I run toward the Pacific, fittingly this section of Mulholland will terminate into dirt before I can get there, I can see it all the flat, sparkling wasteland of the valley to my right, and, in spots, the glowing face of the city to my left, the southerly basin that shows at that hour its truest colors, its glittering nightlights and never-ending shine, ruffled by desert winds and rippling around the edges with surf. I pick up speed as I go. I reach for the stereo dial and turn it up. Blue, the song goes, blue! That's the color of the singer's room, David Bowie keeping me company as I drive. There's no traffic at this hour, not up here, and for brief moments, microseconds only, I close my eyes. Strobing the road, reliving the idiocies of adolescence, herring along in blackness just like Kate Ennis fleeing her crime in Ireland. But what I feel isn't dwindling guilt or nervous trepidation. It is happiness, plain and simple. And as I look down on the city, that place where I was born and where my bones will someday, someday, come to rest, I think of my sleeping daughter and my beloved Sam, of my mother who was born here and my father who lives here still. I think of you, you excellent strivers, you wannabes and aspirants, you hopefuls young and old. 
gazing down from Mulholland towards sunset in the city. I can almost see your evergreen faces, your slumbering, yoga-toned bodies draped in sleep masks, your water glasses glistening, burning even in the dark, as you turn restlessly beneath the burden of your dreams. How radiant you all are, and how lovely. How innocent, in sleep, of every crime except wishfulness. How beautiful and how light-giving. How very much, indeed, precisely you are, like stars. Matthew Spector, always crashing in the same car. This episode of Filthy Armenian Adventures was recorded live from Hayworth Avenue to Westmount Drive. Opening written and voiced by our host, Alec Mohebian, featuring guest Matthew Spector. Supported entirely by the Wreck Merchant, Cigar Singers, and Oligarchs of the Night who subscribe to the show on Patreon. To join their enlightened society and gain access to twice as many adventures, please go to patreon.com slash filthyarmenian and become a patron of this travel agency for the soul. Follow us on X and Instagram at Filthy Armenian. Come to White Christmas in Los Angeles on January 6th. Tickets available at tiny.cc slash faatix. And so we beat on. Boats against the current. To be continued. with me, beauty for the fire is dying. My dog and I are old, too old for roving. Man whose young passion sets the spindrift flying is soon too lame to march, too cold for loving. I take my boat and gather to the fire, turning old yellow leaves. Minute by minute a clock ticks to my heart. A withered wire moves a thin ghost of music in the spinet. I cannot sail your seas, I cannot wander your hilllands, or your cornlands or your valleys ever again, nor share the battle yonder where the young knight, the broken squadron, rallies. Only sit quiet while my mind remembers the beauty of fire from the beauty of embers.